Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Hello and welcome to another episode of Almost Major, where we talk about the many major studios and films they release, although today we are not going to, we're going to talk about the films of 2022. My name is Kevin Tudor, I'm here with Charlie Nash. Hello. And Bryden Doyle. Hello. And like I said, we are doing a end of the year best of, this is kind of a bonus intermission in between our next episodes of Lionsgate, but we will be talking about our top tens our honorable mentions or honorable mentions first and then our top tens and then uh, what we're looking forward to in 2023 uh just before we get into honorable mentions from all three of us what 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 did we think this year as a whole uh, as opposed to 2021 or just in general what do you think it was as far as a good movie year or bad movie year or what i am of the mind that you need to just it's so complicated, especially now with the pandemic, you know, where I'm just like every year I'm like, you just have to look a little harder. And I, I will admit, you know, I, I live in Boston, so it's I have much and I work at a fucking nonprofit art house theater. So it's much easier for me to get access to certain things uh, it, it, that that a lot of people do not have access towards. And and, and I am a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. So I, I am very, very, very privileged and also very lucky to be able to have access to many things um, that have been released throughout the year. I spent um, most of this year, I want to say three-fourths of the year, being like, yeah, this isn't as good of a year as last year. And then when we came to assembling my top ten and even my honorable mentions, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, there, there, there were good things. There were a lot of good things. So... Uh, yeah, I, I always think that there's, there's, even in the roughest of years, there's always, you know, certain gems that, uh, are worth seeking out. Uh, even, you know, and, and, and what I liked about this year was, um, I feel like while most of my top 10 films are more, uh, smaller independent films, um, I think in terms of like wide releases or films that are getting the most acclaim this award season, it's been pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see nearly as much as either of you, I don't think, especially because I think it was exacerbated by the fact that I didn't start going back to theaters until like October. So like, I have not really seen that much in in theaters. Uh, And that's like that, you know, when you go to the theater, I think you're pushed to see more stuff and everything. Um, Whereas like, if you're looking at just what's on streaming, it's like, I don't know, do I really want to watch, like, uh, I don't fucking know. I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, a random... I mean, I watch a lot of bullshit on, on the streaming. Like, I watch, like, uh, Crush or The Requin or something like that. It's like, these are not <laughs> sterling movies or anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm happy with my top ten, which we'll get into, of course. And I feel like if I can at least have, like, a top ten where it's, like, pretty good movie, pretty good to great movies on there, I think that's, like a pretty decent year. And also, like, it might just be my personal taste-making. Again, I only saw, like, maybe 52 movies in total from this year, but, you know, there are not, like, a lot of movies that, like, make me want to blow my head off in this year. Like, the worst it got, <laughs> for, for the most part, was, like, two stars or whatever. You know, like, there were movies I was like, oh, this is just kind of nothing. But for the most part, but I, Outright Sneakers were mostly not on the list, which is nice. And even, like, some of the movies that I don't really like, like, they were kind of in the two-and-a-half-star range, like, there's still interesting stuff in a lot of movies, which is nice. And I'm looking forward to talking about the ones that really were worth my while. Um, yeah, 
Uh, also, sounds like there was a lot of stuff that I didn't get to. Like, I didn't get to see... Um, um, Decision to leave? Did you see that? I did see that. I did see that. Um, okay. I didn't mm. see, like, Stars at Noon, the Claire Janine movie, which got, like, really good right. reviews once it was out of festival. Um, we might be talking about that one later. Uh, yeah, I, I've, heard, <laughs> I've heard it's very good. Yeah, um, Some people in this chat have told me it's good. Uh, yeah, um, but that was what I just didn't see, because, like, it was, like, in theaters for a week, and then it was I was too lazy to rent it on demand. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Prices um, for on-demand stuff, though, has also gone up, especially over the past two years. Oh, so. yeah. It's fucking wild. I mean, it, that was not one of the ones where they're, like, committing highway robbery, but it was wild where, like, bone, Bones and all. I saw that, like, on the last day it was in theaters, and then, like, I was thinking, this seems like a wiser decision to see in theaters, because I had to pay, like, maybe 13 bucks to see it in theaters, whereas, like, if I'm watch if I'm legally renting it off of, like, Cineplex or something, it's, like, 24 bucks. I'm like, no fucking way I'm paying that Jesus. much money. <laughs> like, no. Are you serious? <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. I mean, I get it that that's the other complicated thing, is if you have a group of three or four people and you want to rent that, then financially that makes sense but if it's just you then it's like well no <laughs> yeah and it's i mean that's like the thing that my parents would say like well it's like that price is like what they're charging for what you see with your family it's like yeah but that's like making the assumption that i'm watching with other people i said i'm watching it by myself on my laptop <laughs> talk by myself it's 2 a.m if i told other people to come over and pitch in six dollars they'd fight me <laughs> there is one film on my top 10 that i spent 20 dollars on only because i didn't know how quickly it would the price would a go down and be how much access i would have had to it and i live in you know a major city and still didn't have access to it in uh, theatrically which is telling which is pretty sad but um you i spent 20 dollars on the batman that's ridiculous <laughs> no i i i i i went into my place of employment to see the batman was like hi and then i'll clean the theater up and then saw it and was like eh. um but no uh again i i i have been very very fortunate for most of the films that i've seen to have had access to them and know that a lot of um a lot of places you uh throughout the country and throughout frankly the world that like a lot of uh the distribution is unfortunately very limited for some of these things and um i i i think that that's a little sad and i wish people had more access to certain things for uh, uh lower prices and uh just had more accessibility to some of these things in general and um i guess that's the one very bittersweet takeaway for me is that some uh, some of the films on my top 10 are harder to access and I'm, I'm very aware of that but when they come to wherever you are in the world they are absolutely worth seeking out so yeah that's my two cents. Uh, other point too that's like worth mentioning is how sometimes like the marketing like the the streaming services that have these movies like don't do a good job of marketing their movies like the fact that there was a nope. new Richard Linklater movie that came out this year on Netflix and people like barely talked about it like I yep. that thing came out what in March and it Netflix buried that thing so hard that I didn't even like I, it, that's on me that I didn't even watch it but um like yeah like that, that, I feel like that Apollo ten and a half I feel bad that I didn't even get around to watching that and um I love Linklater uh at least most of the time so like um that's another thing is like it it, it all depends on what is being highly promoted what mm -hmm. what the type of uh what, what type of films are getting 
the biggest spotlight in certain cases, which is also kind of sad, especially considering, you know, the sad state of the theatrical experience as of now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I would say this year was like 30 times better than last year. Wow. I think last year, I think last year if I tried to do a top 10, there would be like a few movies I gave like three out of five on. But really? this year I, I could do like a top 25 and they would be like three and a half and up. It was it was it was good. And also horror movies this year were so good. It was so surprising. It was a good year for horror. Absolutely. But um, uh, anything else about this year in general before we get dive into our honorable mentions? It was good to be back at the movies. I'd forgotten how, how much. Well, I, it was, uh, I was worried about it not being the same, like with like the COVID restrictions and everything and like those being in place and everything. I was worried it was not going to be the same magic. And I was, I was kind of surprised by how quickly I was able to sort of get over it, even though my mask is like fuck up my glasses sometimes. As someone who has to wear glasses uh-huh. for every day, I was like, I'd like move my head and be like, fuck, damn it. Now, <laughs> like, now it's like, now I can't see and everything, but it's, um, uh-huh. but no, like I was, uh, it was very nice to, to get back to that and like have something to look forward to at like the end of the week. Um, yeah, it was good. Yeah. The first, somebody, Oh, sorry. Somebody but... photoshopped Bryden's head on Tom Cruise in front of the tenant poster saying back to the movies. <laughs> that was, that was me, except it was a escape room too. I was just like, oh, it feels good to be back. <laughs> yeah. I, my first movie back, uh, was last year i i remember i saw the taylor sheridan film those who wish me dead and it's a very like fine movie but i remember that being the first theatrical experience i had and like in the first two minutes of that thing a whole house blows up and i was like more like (laughs) like, (laughs) they did it i can't believe they did it uh all right Let's do honorable mentions. Uh, fuck it, I'll go first. Um, honorable mentions, I have six. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I am so surprised Ooh. that I actually liked um, because I think I like maybe three out of like the eight movies in the series and the five that I dislike, I like vehemently hate. So I definitely went into this one being like, oh, this is going to be garbage. The trailer's garbage. I'm just going to hate watch this. And it was a lot of fun. It was like, what, 90 minutes? It was uh, the main problem. The main problem from the, the, I think it was like the second trailer that they bring back Sally from the first one. I was like, are they really doing the fucking Halloween reboot shit with this? And then spoiler alert, she dies like two minutes into it. So it's just like, yeah, fuck that. We're not doing (laughs) that shit. So that kicks ass. Um, but yeah, that was a good one. Deadstream, which was a Shutter movie. Oh. It was a live stream, like a uh, YouTuber um, spends the night in like a haunted house and whatnot. And it's like, it's it sounds like a hard bargain, and it's not as good. But it's like if Evil Dead was live streamed, because it just has that comedy and the grotesqueness of Evil Dead. It's really fun. Um, and then the the couple that uh, wrote and directed that, they also had a short on VHS 99, which is another honorable mention, which kicks ass. Um, Ever since they rebooted the VHS series, it's just been a lot of fun. Like 94 was a lot of fun and 99 was just so much better. I I, I saw that one as part of my catch up. I was not super positive on that, but I did like the Johan Roberts one where it's the girl buried inside the coffin. That was really, that one's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the directors behind Deadstream they did the last one where the guys go into hell. 
I thought that was that one's like almost there for me. I I did like some of the imagery and that. Yeah. Okay, but what did you think of the Flying Lotus one? Hated it. Terrible. Oh, it was fucking awesome. It was way too long. Like especially it is very long. And then like I just feel like this is just like putting me through the muck for like no real reason, and it's just bumming me out more than actually scaring me. Um, What was the Flying Lotus? I know this is going off. It was the uh, game show one. Oh, I didn't. I didn't watch any of. I didn't watch it, but what was the fucking Flying Lotus movie that was discussed? Oh, Kuso. Have any of you seen Kuso? Kuso? No. Yeah, don't, and I don't want to. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sucks. It's, it's one of the most nauseating things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were the other two? The first one was like the punk band. That one that, was boring. I, that one sucked. Yeah. yeah. And then but, there was the one then, with the webcam uh, where it's like the horny kids who are like... Uh, putting the webcam in the oh middle. with the succubus yeah i think that was kind of cool that was kind of cool but yeah like the the last one and the coffin one and uh the, the flying lotus one i was i was on board but it's just also fun that these you know this is what the original vhs's did except these were a lot better it's just like look at these new people in horror and then i'm you know especially with the deadstream people like that couple they're just doing wild shit that i really like um next one on the list is everything everywhere all at once you've heard about it i don't want to hear about it ever again but i really liked it uh beavis and butt do the universe hell yeah our boys are back and they're better than ever with white and, privilege uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the new season just just fucking great um yeah. and then lastly uh sharp stick which i really don't oh I, yeah bernthal would be on my list of like favorite supporting performances in that he's he's great in that um yeah yes um Who's who's my man from Felicity? Scott Speedman that's in that? Yeah. <laughs> Playing the nice porn store. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, honorable mentions. What do you got? So I have quite a few, and I want to say right off the bat, I'm even limiting my honorable mentions. Like I said, I spent most of this year being like, oh, this isn't like as good as last year. And then when it came to just constructing a list, even with honorable mentions, I was like, fuck, do I have to leave this off? But I will start with uh, one that I think we're going to hear more about because I think this is on one of our lists or one of your lists uh kimmy uh the steven soderbergh yeah. oh yeah with zoe kravitz yeah. i think i i love steven soderbergh uh i think this is probably my favorite thing he's done since side effects and i like Ooh. all of his movies but this one i was thinking just a very tight thriller with a, an incredible performance by zoe kravitz um our uh, friend of the pod and uh, our friend of the pod and Mitchell Bupree uh, wrote an amazing piece for, I believe it was the film stage about Zoe Kravitz's performance. Yeah. And uh, it's an incredible piece of acting. Absolutely worth checking out our friend's piece on the performance and why it is so great. Uh, We're all going to the world's fair. Um, A film that I was told going in is, was deeply, uh, deeply deeply scary and what i found to be haunting about it was just how vulnerable and sad and uh empathetic it was towards um someone who feels isolated from the rest of the world and lives in a part of the country where there is nothing to do but escape to the internet and Mm -hmm. um is not even condescending because i was worried about the potential the internet is a horrible, horrible place commentary that is so tired and so, uh, frankly, monotonous. And actually, uh, just watching that late at night um, in my own home, just just 
haunted me. And I think Anna Cobb's performance is also oh, incredible. She's so, good. she's so unbelievably raw, and um, it, it, it really uh, took me aback just how much that movie has stuck with me throughout the year. Um, the controversial, I would say, universally beloved, but controversial Tar, I also think is great. Um, I think there's a really great episode that the film comment released, uh, the film comment podcast released recently, which was called Tar Wars, where they had, um, two film critics, and I'm, excuse me, I'm forgetting their names at the moment, but they had one person who was like, Tar is brilliant, and they had one person who hated it, and they were like, now fight! And (laughs) it really opened my eyes into appreciating just the various contradictions and complexities of that film. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are certain things that are rough around the edges, but I think Kate Blanchett is just, you, you can't take her eyes off of her. And I think in terms of the messiness of it and as a commentary on uh, how we analyze art in contemporary society and how we deal with problematic artists in particular, I found to be really, uh, really fascinating. And it has a, 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 a very divisive ending that has stuck with me all year round that I, I don't think we have time to get into. But yeah, check that one out. Uh, Jackass Forever. Uh, probably Honorable mentions. Go to hell. <laughs> no, I'm um, uh, I did want to. I did want to interject that uh, we're all going to the World's Fair. I saw that in 2021, like late 2021. Oh, okay. I was able to like rent it from Outfest, so that's one of my favorites of la- of last year. But technically, yes, it did come out this year. <laughs> I also want to interject. Uh, Charlie, I looked up the film called My Podcast episode. Uh, it is Jessica Kang and Nathan Lee who were on the episode to debate the film. Uh, yes. I just wanted to give that as reference. Uh, yes, yeah. thank you, thank you. I should have done my homework in terms of oh, so referencing good. them because they they do a great job of uh, defending and opposing the film in one of the most that is certainly one of the most provocative episodes of podcasting I've heard on film this year of a film I really liked and to be fair Jessica King gets pretty ganged up on in, in this oh, episode uh... and but what I like is that they're like no she can hold her own and she does and I it it it, it opened my eyes into viewing the film as someone who really, really, really liked it. Um, why certain people were, um, were not as taken with it as she was. But I think that it is one of the films this year that is most worth arguing about. Uh, Jackass forever. You know what you're getting in for. Um, hell yes. I boys are back. One of the best theater going experiences I had this year (sighs) was seeing it with a bunch of people. And also one of the few films where you want audience participation in it, because if you Mm -hmm. just see Jackass forever with a bunch of people who are silent, it's just kind of awkward. And here Mm -hmm. it was like you, you looked forward to audience participation. And, and, and I think that it's such, you know, it's a blast and it is art. It's avant-garde. If you really want to look at it that way. I mean, who the fuck puts their bodies on display for art in such a unique (laughs) disgusting way um nope which i have seen three times now uh god damn i liked it the first time i saw it but it was like i don't know if this is something that holds together all that well and then i saw it with my roommate in imax and a couple of friends and then we couldn't stop talking about it and the more we talked about it the more we were like oh wait these sequences actually do gel together and it actually is a really great commentary on how um, Hollywood chews and spits people out, um, especially people of color, which I like that the commentaries in that film are both not 
they're simultaneously subtle and very blunt at the same time, and yet people are still debating that one. Love that one. EO. Uh, ah, I want to see the damn donkey. Oh, it's so good. Ahazard Balthazard on Ecstasy. Uh, and <laughs> it's it's really, really great. Um, yeah, one of the best shot films of the year. Uh, a film that is also, as the people mentioned, uh, made for uh, out of love for animals. Not this is not a film about animal cruelty or any way. And they and it, it's also just uh, what a ride, what an unpredictable ride. Where I was devastated in one scene and then laughing in others. And at one point, I watched this film by myself and I even said, "Holy shit!" out loud to myself in my room. So definitely check that one out. Banshees of Inisherin, uh, a film that was it's funny until it's not. Not adding anything new here, but possibly Martin McDonough's best film, and I really like In Bruges, but... Probably. Uh, I haven't seen In Bruges, but it's definitely my favorite oh, movie so far. Oh, Kevin, I think you'd love In Bruges. I, I need to rewatch yeah. that one. I haven't seen it since high school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colin Farrell having a great year. He's incredible. And uh, the one that nearly cracked my top ten, because I have to be honest, it's, it's a film that I was shocked by how much I loved, and I went to the theater and was like, let's see how this turns out, and I was like, shit, I think I love this. Ambulance by michael bay. i gotta watch it look i have hated so many michael bay films <laughs> and this one fires on all cylinders if you are not in the bay tank which i am not but i know a lot of people are like i'm still not in the bay tank i don't get what people are talking about with this it feels like almost a beautiful accident that this very conservative filmmaker made a film that was relevant about the healthcare system and veterans and people of color getting sideswiped into what is essentially, it is a, a, a two hour plus chase sequence that I, I know it's insane, but like it has argu arguably my favorite cinematography of the year with him discovering drones. Um, uh, I'm forgetting his name. Just a sec. Let me find him. Please don't put this in the episode. Robert uh, oh, Roberto De Angelis does the cinematography. He worked with Agnes Farta on Faces Places. It is yes. propulsive, deeply stupid, but also just electrifying cinema. And I know that that was like again. Well, like I said at the beginning, I'm sorry for hogging the honorable mentions thing, but like I said, uh. I could have made a whole list with my honorable mentions. And, uh, yeah. So I, I do think it was a good year at the movies just by that standpoint alone. So hell yeah. Brian, honorable mentions. What do you got? Yeah. I wrote down some of these cause I wanted to, cause some of these, I forgot details of them and I wanted to, Oh wait, wait, we got to know everybody's opinion on seven psychopaths. That's what I was going <laughs> to. We'll do that when we talk about CBS films. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. I, 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 I it's fine. I haven't seen it, it since theaters. <laughs> that, that felt like a movie at my age when I was like, I don't know, probably like 18, that I was like, oh man, it's going to kick ass. And then afterwards I was like, eh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I do need to watch it in Bruges. Like after I watched Banshees, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I need to, I know that's such a big one that I haven't seen, but yeah, uh, Colin Farrell is hilarious and Banshees, so and I'm he's, expecting him to be very funny in In Bruges. And he's very funny in In Bruges, and it has the same type of, uh, Without spoiling anything, I think In Bruges has the same type of structure of, like, it's very darkly funny until it's not, so... Mm -hmm. It alternates. It depends on the scene. It, like, yeah. it, it'll, like, throw you off where it'll be, like, really fun and then, like, really sad and then be really funny again. I don't know. It's... I yeah. like that it keeps you off guard. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Daredevil opinions. What do we get? No, I'm kidding. Brian, honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'll rattle through this. Uh, I really liked. Be- I liked Beast, the Baltazar Cormacur, Idris Elba fights oh. a lion movie. Um, really effective usage of the stitch together long takes gimmick, which I know some people like roll their eyes at, but I think it works out because it's less about showing off the technical prowess and more about sustaining the tension. Um, so- yeah, I have a. Uh- a stitched together one take movie we're going to be talking about later. So Ooh. if done well, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, so. and Elba and the kid actors, you know, like sometimes there's like there's some boilerplate stuff where it's like you're not there for me when like you know our mom has died or something like that. But like that kind of stuff is like rolling your eyes at. But like kid, uh, we're dealing with a lion. Yeah, fuck all that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's like a real lived in rapport, and they don't like linger on that stuff too much. Um, and like you know, keeping the narrative momentum momentum going by like frequently giving them new mini obstacles for them to overcome. Like, there's, like, a really tense scene where Idris Elba, like, has to, like, get, like, a tranquilizer gun, and he has to, like, wrestle it away from the lion. He's, like, ducking under different parts of the car to get it, and, um... Is it is it basically Cujo, but with a lion? Uh, I have not seen Cujo, but I know that that's, like, a big part of Cujo, and it sounds like that's... Yeah, it's it is pretty much stuck stuff. in a car. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, like, it's definitely silly, but, like, it delivers on the spectacle, and Elba's, like, a really believably weary and humane lead in it, and it just, like, it works. And it's, like, 90 minutes long. It's, like, just pr- does what it says on the tin. Um, Smile, uh, which I thought was quite good. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, even as the narrative, like, borders on bad taste and being, like, really risable, um, especially with regards to mental illness and possibly, like, demonizing... Mental illness, literally. Um, I think the movie is, like, really strongly directed and well-acted. I mean, Sosie Bacon, you know, she's, like, just a total runner for performance, you know. you know, She's she, great, yeah. Yeah, like, and uh, really unexpectedly sensitive in certain parts. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's, like, kind of contradicting, like, the, the tastelessness of it. But, like, you know, uh, it's, like, kind of adding to, like, the knife-twist nature of some of the scares in the movie. There's, like, a moment where you're introduced to a character played by Judy Reyes, uh, whose husband is like a, was a victim of the curse and uh where like you know when you smile at someone uh you like then kill yourself like seven days later it's kind of like the ring um but like and the camera starts out yeah. by showing her husband and family photos on a table and she, she starts talking about him and like how she never heard him scream before and like you do get like this picture that's very humane of this guy and then parker finn you know and like what a debut as, a, as just a director he like twists a knife by like cutting to a photo of like his mangled face in like a photo like post what happened to him with like a hammer or something it's like it really like kind of throws you off in a way that like i like is very nasty but also like just on a pacing level is like really good and um mm-hmm. yeah really good use of sound too i really like uh the, the birthday party scene where she gives a gift uh, to the kid and the sound drops out as you're like thinking oh shit something bad's gonna happen and you see what the reveal is and it's like ah yikes um and uh yeah, I, I, there's like definitely things in it that don't work. Like I hate the ironic Neil drop the place again credits, but um, I, I, I do lollipop, 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 terrible, lollipop, lollipop. Yeah, but great score too. I really liked uh, the score. Mm-hmm. I, Good score. Yeah, and um, speaking of scores, did oh, it was a uh, <clears throat> bodies, bodies, bodies. The score by Disaster Piece. I was like, this score kicks ass. Really I wish score. it was in a better movie. Oh, <laughs> I like that would be fine, but uh, yeah, the score is definitely a highlight. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Smile was really good. Uh, no Exit, that was one that's uh, that was like a Hulu movie. Um, that one's based on a, a book, which is like makes sense because it has kind of the feel of like a mystery where each chapter ends with like a new twist or like you know a kind of new reveal, and like that makes you want to keep like turning the pages and reading to find out what happens next. And the movie kind of has that approach too, where like the first half hour you think like, "Holy shit, this movie's peaked with this twist. What's happening?" And then it keeps going and going and revealing more stuff. 
uh, really good lifted performances. Dennis Haysbert and Dale Dickey have like a nice like chemistry as a couple with like a sort of a messed up history uh, with their, their marriage. Um, and like really steadily builds to the grisly violence. Like there's some like really gnarly nail gun shit that happens in the last 30 minutes. Um, yeah, just like a, a lean, cleanly shot and edited thriller that like gets in and out and does the job. <laughs> uh, really, really like that one. And then I Want You Back, the rom-com with Jason, uh, by, um, not Jason, the director is Jason Orley, <laughs> who did Big Time Adolescence and has got Charlie Day and Jenny Slate, uh, conspiring to break up, uh, their exes with their new couples, oh, with their new right. partners. Yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. It came out on Amazon, uh, at like in February, I think, um, it kind of has like a weirdly similar premise to Ticket to Paradise, which is also the George Clooney, Julia Roberts rom-com, which is also about like, we're going to try to break this couple up for our own selfish purposes. Uh, but whereas <laughs> that movie doesn't really follow through with its mean-spirited premise and also isn't very funny, this one ha like does believably like convey like sort of the, the, the saddening fallout that comes from like enacting this plan. Like you kind of like the people that they're trying to break up. Um, but also, like, a lot of humor is run out of it because Charlie Day and Jenny Slate are very funny performers, whether they're, like, just howlingly needy or, like, you know, being, like, genuinely nice to each other. And, like, they're, yeah, like, they're very funny. And um, Jason Orley, you know, I liked his his previous movie, Big Time Adolescence, as I said, and he has a really good feel for the romantic comedy vibe. I think he was, like, an assistant to Nancy Myers, I heard, uh, at one hmm. point. Oh, and, I can see that. Yeah, and some of the needle drops, you know, at one point they play a song by Jimmy Durant, which feels like something out of a Nora Ephron movie. Uh, and he always, like, knows how to end the scene on the right button, uh, like, just, like, in terms of punchlines. Uh, so, yeah, just, like, a totally rock-solid romantic comedy. Uh, would highly recommend that for fans of the genre. Um, and last honorable mention, uh, Dog, the directorial debut of Channing Tatum and Reed <laughs> Dog! Harlan. Ah! Yeah. I missed it. I it's, missed it. It's really charming. I mean, when I saw the trailer, it, like, I was kind of rolling my eyes for, like, you see wacky dog hijinks soundtrack to Beast of Burden. Uh, do you get it? Do you get it? Um, but, but it's a dog. Hell yeah. Uh, Why haven't I seen this? This is made for me. But the actual film is like a lot darker, but also more compassionate than something like, you know, Mar the Marmaduke movie-esque movie that it looks like it's going to be in the trailer. Uh, cause the it's darker? Yeah. Does like the dog get like canceled or no. what's going on? <laughs> yes, the dog's name is uh, Tar, uh, but yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but the central the dog won an EGOT and now it's getting canceled. <laughs> it had some tweets. Um, yeah. Um, but like the central premise of the movie is Channing Tatum has to deliver a military dog to a funeral of a veteran who committed suicide. Uh, and the movie is very frank about dealing with Channing Tatum's character having PTSD and that keeping him from going mm -hmm. back to active duty. And I think like, you know, there is like a humanity to the movie that is like really admirable. There's a key moment where like they go to like get uh Channing Tatum's like stuff that's been stolen by a, a, a homeless person and you know he's wearing an army jacket and Channing Tatum like thinks that he's like you know doing like stolen valor like he wasn't actually in the army and you know the scene like like it ends like with like you know voiceover carrying into like the next scene or whatever but like you stay with that character who's like rambling incoherently and like the movie like seems to have like real empathy for that guy who like is like maybe he's from the army or maybe he's not but like you know he's going through something and like then there's dialogue about how like you know I could you could easily have been this like you know Chinese Tatum or Ethan Supley like who are veterans in the movie they could have easily been that person if they had not gotten the help that they needed so I don't know it's it's really 
Um, I, I like that, like, the movie has those, like, grace notes in there with the side characters, but it also works wonderfully as, like, you know, just a, a lighthearted road movie, too. I mean, you know, you got, like, people like Kevin Nash and Jane Addams pop, uh, popping up as, like, a pot-growing couple. Uh, Jane Addams Big Papa, Big Papa Kevin Nash is in yeah, this? Yeah, and, like, <laughs> the way that, and, you know, Tatum is, like, good with actors, well, like, where he, and as, as a lead, too, like, he just, like, immediately has chemistry with them, and it's just like, yeah, I could, like, easily watch a whole movie where it's just them hanging out. Um, so, yeah, really, really charming. Uh, I think that's streaming on Amazon Prime now, if or at least it is in Canada, if people want to check that out. Um, but yeah, that's those are, I hope I didn't take up too much time. Those are my honorable mentions of some you things I liked from this year. certainly did not take up as much time as me, so you're fine. Listen, honorable mentions, we got dogs, we got lions. Um, I don't have any, ant- well, I did see Gigi and Allen, which has a very cute monkey in it, but it, it's it's not good. You made but... that sound like you saw Gigi Allen, like as if like it was about the the punk musician. <laughs> you won't believe what he does. No, okay, nope, 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 no. Isn't that no? It's Gigi and Nate. My bad. I, I sorry. Todd Todd Phillips is on my brain. No, um, I I I will watch that documentary. But okay, all the honorable mentions are done. Let's start off with number ten on our top. Tens. I will go first, just to throw the chaos all in order. My number ten is Orphan First Kill, directed yeah! by William Brent Bell. This movie fucking rips. Um, I was a little, uh, I was a bit hesitant because when it finally, finally got announced, because I feel like they've been talking about a prequel for like forever, and then it was like, oh, it's announced and it's going to Paramount Plus or whatever. Mm-hmm. It did eventually go to theaters, but hearing that. And then the director is, I think it's the guy who did Portrait, like At just the Devil Inside, your favorite movie. Oh God! <laughs> wow, yeah. So like he's done nothing good. So I was not expecting this to be good. And we were talking off mic. There is a moment where like it's good up until this point, but then something happens with one of the characters about forty minutes in, and I was just like, oh, this movie's bad shit, and I, I'm I'm having a great time uh julia styles so glad she's back so doing, glad she's doing, back <laughs> yeah uh because i mean she was in hustlers as a little lesser role but i mean this is this is like one of the leads so um what else has she been in? well she she fully is able to utilize a role because i i liked mm-hmm. hustlers too but hustlers she's kind of just there to Thankful. listen you know yeah. she she isn't really she's more receptive to everything that's going on in the movie from our narrate our unreliable narrator's point of view. I haven't seen hustlers in a very long time or ha- by a very long time. I mean, it's been a while and I saw it before the pandemic began. Kevin but- and Charlie, right. how dare you not acknowledge the Neil Jordan created series Riviera starring Julia Stiles and Anthony LaPaglia, which ran for three seasons on <laughs> sky Atlantic. <laughs> I read this off sky the Atlantic. Wow. Well, I wonder what that was in the U S like stars or epics or something. Maybe shit. Sundance channel. I don't know. I, I, Oh, that'd be sad. Yeah. But I agree with you. Julia Stiles gives one of the most batshit performances of the year in this movie. And while I will admit it's not in my honorable mentions mentions or in my top ten, uh, it's one of the most fun experiences I had. It, and I, like you, I was like, William Rent Bell, I haven't seen any of these movies that he's Didn't made. Didn't he do The the Boy? Didn't he do that? Or did he I do Proms The Boy? He might have done both. Uh, yeah, he oh, did hell both. yeah. But I've heard nothing but bad things about this guy and i was just like okay well it, you know because the first one's by john colette sarah am i pronouncing his name right john yeah. Colette like, Sarah. yeah yes yes um and the first one 
I remember seeing it a drive-in on opening night and being like, is this really happening right now? This is insane. And remember thinking, well, what else are they going to bring to the table? And then this one, it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, uh, one of the biggest surprises of the year for me. Yeah. Um, okay, Charlie, you're number 10. Uh, my number 10 is RRR. Or, uh, yeah, I still haven't seen it. That's, I mean, a, here's the yeah. thing about RRR is that it is, uh, when you have had access to see it, there have been multitudes of conflicting things of should I watch it this way? Is the aspect ratio right? Is the initial, is the original language in this? Yeah. I was fortunate enough to, I went, <laughs> I went suit shopping, uh, at a mall in Massachusetts. Uh, with a friend, my friend who was getting married at the time, and I had the day off, and I just, it just was a stroke of luck that I was able to see it, it, frankly, in AMC, but was still projected right in the original language, um, which is Telugu. Um, the RRR, by the way, start, uh, stands for Rise, Roar, Revolt, um, and there have been some conflicting pieces that uh, uh, about its politics, I will just say, and I will also lay my own feet to the fire and say, I am terrible when it comes to uh, watching Indian films. I will say this was kind of a gateway to me, um, but in terms of pure action spectacle, I hadn't seen anything like this. And this, I saw this at the beginning of the year, around like late March, early April, and uh, I yeah. Three hours long, dance sequences, musical numbers, um, and lots of incredible sequences of just like it, it kind of it kind of basically made me go, oh, this is what I'm missing in action movies right now, which are strong bonds between characters, in this case, two male characters who are on opposing sides of a revolution that's happening in India in the 1920s. Um, uh, just the, the extras, the, the scale and how it uses those extras, just the, 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 the way in which it uses and mixes practical effects with, uh, CGI, which even when you can tell that something is computer generated in this film, it doesn't matter. It's so exhilarating to watch. And, I know I'm not, I am far, far from an expert on uh, Indian films and, um, and and the politics behind it. And I will, I, I, I do want to say that I know there have been some pieces that have talked about it at length that I would recommend that you go read before seeing this. But as pure uh, cinematic spectacle, it's tough to beat this thing this year. I mean, it's just a marvel. It's unbelievable what they are able to concoct into just creating pure escapism at the movies. And I saw it by myself, like, and then I work at the Coolidge Corner Theater as if, like, I mean, take a drink if you haven't heard me say that before. I saw it and, like, I myself was like, yes, but then I, but then we had a special screening for it at our theater a night that I worked. And I was like, well, I'll work. I saw this before. And we had it in the theater upstairs. And where I work, there's, our concession stand is downstairs and the theater it was showing in was upstairs. We could hear cheers just echoing throughout the theater. And I, I work there four to five days every week. I have never 
even like I've worked there five years. It's been I, I can count the number of times on one hand how many times I've heard cheering coming from a movie that's not playing at midnight and. Like, people were going nuts for this thing. Which is not to say we're reviewing audiences. We're not. This is my list. But I will say that it really does... And just hearing that was my internal feeling I had watching this thing the entire time. Where I think it's just incredibly well choreographed. um, Rousing, just uh, unbelievable action filmmaking. And... I, I I have to say, uh, just in terms of, in that genre, probably my favorite film of uh, of that year, in terms of, like, if you're seeking that type of thrill, it's just, it's just remarkable. So, yeah, that's my number 10. I can't wait to be doing the same thing as far as cheering and whatnot during the screening of EO. Oh, it's going to kick <laughs> ass. I, w- I will Look s- at that donkey! Woo! <laughs> You'll do the, the Freddie Mercury thing. E-o. <laughs> someone actually... Sir, shut up! <laughs> I, I, I was at work earlier today and someone came up and were like, can I have a ticket for A-O? <laughs> <laughs> it was like wrong vowel, but you're close. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Brian, you're number 10. Yeah, my number 10 is... I mean, this is a, a movie I'm sort of... Turned, turned over in my head a number of times, talked about with other people about the flaws and the virtues of it, but I, it stuck in my head. Um, Armageddon Time by James Gray. Oh, I missed this one. I, Same. I've been, it I don't think I've seen any James Gray movie, Ooh. honestly. Oh. It's really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two Lovers is my favorite that I've seen so far. Um, and I haven't seen that one either, and I've heard from multiple people, Bryden, that that is his best one. And for whatever reason, I've seen a bunch of his films, but that miss me but anyway isn't that one i think that's like one of those it's just like this movie fucking end you after you watch it type of movie but he also break dances to moby and at walking phoenix so that's okay i'll watch it yeah (laughs) um yeah (laughs) fine you've sold us god go on (laughs) um so Armageddon Time, it's a much tougher film, I think, than some critics are giving it credit for. Like, I saw one person uh, say, like, you know, it's a movie where James Gray is like, oh, I was the one who walked out of Fred Trump's speech at my school or whatever. And it's like, I don't think the movie is that triumphant. You know, I think it's a movie mm-hmm. about the character learning about how unfair the world is, trying to do the right thing, and then still getting squashed by it. Like, it's like, he's, it's ineffective still. Um you know, I think, like, the un- the final scene is, uh, without giving away too much about it, it's uncertain at best where, you know, the, you know, the bleakness of, like, what has happened in the movie is still haunting the lead character. And I think, you know, I struggled a little bit with the child performances at, at the start. It's uh, Banks Rapetta and Jalen Webb, I think, are the leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, but I think uh, sort of, like, their halting, awkward line deliveries help, you know, because it's a movie about kids who are still finding their place in the world. Um, and, you know, being, you know, kind of bummed out by what that place is in the world um you know very sickly looking period detail you know like a lot of dingy looking classrooms and gray police stations you know that kind of fits the diseased worldview of the institutions that these characters are living in um really and, and you know as some talking to some people who are maybe not as familiar with james by the way i haven't seen uh, the immigrant in lost city z so i'm i've still got some uh, and have you seen the yards yes i have good movie um really okay yeah i want to um, check that out it's funny that james gray and matt reeves are friends because you know matt reeves like co-wrote the yards and like their careers are just like completely diverged <laughs> yeah. totally 
Um, yeah, where's James Gray Cloverfield movie? I'd like to see that. Uh, hell yeah, I would love that. Um, <laughs> um, but it's really interesting how this movie fits into his filmography, where like we get like kind of he seems to have like a very ambivalent view about family loyalty, where it's like mm-hmm. that something that being loyal to your family could very well poison your soul. Like just look at the conclusions of We Own the Night or Ad Astra or The Yards. Um, you know, there's like stuff in it that doesn't work. Like there's some like fantasy sequences that don't entirely work. Um, and you know, I can also understand critiques uh, that the, you know, for people who don't know what the movie's about, the movie is about a um, uh, a white Jewish kid in the early 80s uh, New York. He seems like he's a, a stand-in for young James Gray, who would have been that same age around the time. And his friendship with a, with a, a young black kid in his classroom who seems to be getting kind of the short end of the stick of a lot of things, you know, getting in trouble more in class and eventually being, having to evade... Um, Child Protective Services when he has no no longer has anyone to take care of him. Uh, the movie he is I I understand the critique that he is somewhat underwritten, especially because the argument that the movie is taking place entirely from the uh, the Gray Standins perspective uh, that you you know that you're getting just his view of this kid. But the movie does have like a very brief glimpse of um, the friend's home life, uh, and that's like not something that the main character would be seeing. So it's like you think like should the movie maybe be divided it's time a little bit more evenly between the two characters. That is totally fair. But, um, I do think the movie is like not soft peddling any of like the, the sort of hard edge lessons that the movie is giving. You know, it is like, I think the movie really has like a lot of empathy for, uh, the friend that, uh, doesn't get the same opportunities that the main kid gets. And, and also like, you know, the movie acknowledges that there's a lot of discrimination that, uh, the main character gets as a, as a Jewish kid, you know, where like, he's asked about like, mm-hmm. you know, why'd you change your name and everything to something that, you know, like, it's like, he says your name graph, like it was originally Grafo, uh, Grafowitz or something. Um, but then like also showing how they could be capable of prejudice too. Um, and, you know, but I think it's a movie where, you know, there's a key line where Jeremy Strong is the dad, uh, and Jeremy Strong, I think is very good in the movie. Uh, he tells him like to never look back, uh, if he ever gets ahead in the world. And I think with this movie, it seems like James Gray is doing the exact opposite. He's like not forgetting like the sort of scars of this horrible history that, he, that the world has been through. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting movie. Very interesting to mull over, even if it doesn't always work all the time. Um, yeah. I'll stop there. My my friend Keith Ulick, who gave it, I believe, three and a half stars for Slant, uh, or for Slate, excuse me, um, was like, you can't really describe. I have not seen this film, but he was like, you can't really describe why it's not a white savior film, but it isn't until you watch it. And I think, yeah. and and that's what I'm getting from your your review, uh, or your um your summation of it right now is that, and that's why it's been on my list for so long. And I feel so bad that I didn't get around to it before uh, this episode or even like just in general. Um, (laughs) Did I ever tell you that uh, speaking of James Gray films, uh, we own the night was the first film that I ever reviewed for my high school newspaper. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. And I asked my mom to take me because I was not, 17 at the time and the first scene involves walking phoenix before there's even an exchange of dialogue walking phoenix just uh uh does something sexual with eva mendes on the couch and i remember just the discomfort of feeling like looking over to my mom being like it's for school (laughs) like (laughs) so gotta review this for the other kids that can't go and watch it yeah exactly (laughs) um but I, I will say, I, I think that James Gray is a filmmaker who I deeply, deeply respect. I have not seen Two Lovers, but I have seen Wheel of the Night, The Immigrant, Lost City of Zed. 
um, at Astra. I have not seen this one. I I always feel like I'm looking at a beautiful portrait, but I'm not immersed in it, which is probably why I haven't gotten to this one yet. But it, it based on your take and other people's takes, it's one that I definitely feel like I need to get around to very soon in order to have my own um, take on it. Because James Gray, from everything I've seen, is an incredibly talented filmmaker, and I'm glad that it moved you so deeply. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, I I've had like good conversations. I mean, our friend Jack Draper, he saw it, and I had a really good conversation with him about it, and talking about like the faults and virtues of it. And he likes the movie, and but I've also read good writing by people who haven't liked the movie or mm -hmm. or mixed on it at least. Like Adam Neiman, Odie Henderson, and Chaos and Collins wrote really well about the movie, and those mm -hmm. are some good pieces to check out for people who have seen the movie. Um, yeah. All right, number nine. Uh, my number nine is Seen Red, directed by Domi Shi. Oh. Don't have much to say other than this movie is extremely cute. Is it? Um, it, I, I'm sorry, turning for being an asshole. It's turning red, right? Yeah. God damn it! <laughs> I mean, it how much? It would kick so much ass though if it was named after the Minor Threat song, and that was like what it was about. <laughs> uh, yeah, turning red. I have been doing that all year okay uh yeah why this have you been seeing red like eo the donkey just terminator vision you've just been seeing no red i have not been seeing eo god damn it no. <laughs> well this is actually the sequel where she turns into a bull yeah um but yeah this movie's adorable i i don't have much else to say it's just so super cute it is um, it is really cute and i don't know why um i saw it earlier in the year it's not on my uh, top 10, but I will say it did make, uh, for Bafka, it made my animated uh, films of the year list. And I don't know why it didn't get a theatrical release, because it, it just went straight to Disney+. And I know there were a few other films that were animated that did make it to theaters, and I don't know why Disney didn't take a gamble with this one, because... Yeah, I don't know. I will say... It was like a bit of a weird start, at least speaking for Canada. I don't know how different, I guess like people deal with COVID differently in like different parts of the world, but um, like theaters were closed for the first couple of months. I feel like of, of I think of like uh, mm -hmm. the first couple in Canada, at least like that's why like I didn't like the new scream, I think didn't make it to theaters uh, like that. Uh, um, Cause that came out back in January. So maybe that was like, maybe they were worried about like possibly a movie get, especially cause it's by a Toronto filmmaker it's set in Toronto explicitly. Mm -hmm. I say this to someone who has not seen the movie, so I'm being a bit of a, a jackass here talking about something I don't know. But like, I wonder if that was maybe the concern that like they were worried about possible box office. Uh, no, that that's that's a really good point. Yeah. Brian, you say you haven't seen it, even though you're in the movie, which is wild. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really dug it, and uh, it's a funny thing. It's just like Pixar, as of now, has kind of lost its mojo for me. But like the the directors they have that are still that have been doing stuff at Pixar for like decades and whatnot. Like I really loved soul, but like that's Pete doctor. Mm. So of course that's Wally. That's finding Nemo guy. But with this one, this first time that she's made a Pixar movie, I'm pretty sure she made a short, but bow, the one uh, with the dumpling. Yeah. Yeah. Bow bow's adorable too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was that one, but yeah, it's really good. Uh, this one doesn't go to theaters, but uh Lightyear does and tanks. <laughs> yeah. And so did um the one with Jake Gyllenhaal that just came out where, Strange World. Yeah, I don't think that's no. Pixar. That's just Disney. Oh, is that but yeah, just that Disney? bombed. That yeah. also bombed. Yeah. I mean, I will say, too, that there was a Pixar film. I'll just say it. It's Inside Out, where I was talking to someone who 
and this was years ago when it came out, was just like, oh, is it a pair of mismatched friends who have to go on a journey to find out, like, you know, <laughs> what it means to be human or whatever, or what their value in the world is? And it's like, well, I love Inside Out, but yes, it is that. And then, but yeah. but Turning Red... Don't, it, don't it's mess a, with the uh, formula, if it works. Yeah, but, but Turning Red doesn't use that formula. It's kind of someone just identifying with themselves and, you know, using... As you said, uh, new setting, <laughs> new, it, 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 it's not white people. <laughs> I mean, it's very tied to Asian mm-hmm. culture. I mean, it's it's adorable, and it and it totally subverts all of the typical tropes that we usually expect from that type of yeah. story. So I don't know why, I mean, again, COVID's complicated everything, but yeah, it's a bummer that that's, this one wasn't released theatrically. I'll just say that. Yeah. Bryden, you're number nine. Yeah, uh, my number nine is X by Ty West. Uh, I haven't seen Pearl, uh, but, but like uh, as a, as it stands, I think this movie works totally fine on its own. Um, some people have called it um, ageist. I know some people in our friend group who do not like this movie uh, because I guess the the villains in the movie are too beauty obsessed, yeah. visibly wrinkled elderly people. But I think if yeah. anything, it's more about how being so looks focused at, uh, at the expense of other things can be destructive. And you know, I think like. The movie is complicated, I think, by this the scene where, you know, the two killers have sex in the middle of their killing spree. Uh, they stop to, like, talk about how, like, you know, the husband says, I think you look more beautiful than you ever did or whatever. And it's, like, it's disturbing because it's taking place in the middle of all this bloodshed and there's, like, someone hiding under the bed not wanting to be a, a witness to this. Uh-huh. But then it is also taking it, I think as a very earnest declaration of love between these two very sick people. You know, sick in the <laughs> sense that they are killers. Um, yeah. So I think that's, like, a thing that complicates uh, that critique of the movie. Um, also think it's really interesting as, uh, you know, we've had, you know, mainstream movies that depict, like, the, the porn industry, you know, like Boogie Nights. And, but I, I like how there's something very matter-of-fact to the way that these characters go about the, bus- about the business. I think uh-huh. there's, like, a scene where, like, after a scene has been shot, like, Brittany still, like, wipes herself off. And it's like, wow, that is, like, I, I kind of like to throw that lived-in detail to it. And, um... You know, there's, like, I like hanging out with, like, the characters when they're, like, saying landslide to each other. It kind of makes, it seems something like something out of House of the Devil, which, like, a lot of that movie, mm-hmm. that's one of Ty West's earlier movies, and that there's, like, that's another movie where, like, a lot of it is just following the main character around as they just sort of, like, do ordinary stuff around the house. And it's very yeah. compelling to watch, because the lead, the lead in that movie is compelling, just as the lead actress and actress are very compelling. But also there's, like, the, the lingering sense that something very uneasy could happen at, like, any possible moment. And I think West is very good at that, and the horror scenes have very nasty payoffs. You know, like the character gets shotgunned so hard that they fly out oh of frame. Oh my god! The god. Their head bitten off by a by an alligator. It's yeah, it, it totally works. It's just like on a on a thrills level as a, as a horror movie. So lots of fun with that one. I hell yeah! I absolutely agree with you, Bryden. I like this movie a lot. I my. I, I will not disagree per se. Like everyone who's saying that this film is ageist, I think they have very sincere arguments against it, and it's out of concern. And I don't want to negate that in any way because I can totally see where they're coming from. At the same right. time, I think that what's kind of ingenious about this movie is that it is a f- period piece that's also talking about. older generations dealing with sexual frankness and setting it in the past. And I think there are some 
and I think it's critical towards the younger group for being like, well, we're young and we like to fuck, and that's just they just don't want to see that. But they don't want to see elder uh, like elderly people fuck at the same time who yeah. have just as big of a sexual appetite to go with what you're saying about the sex scene between the two killers. Um, uh-huh. And yeah. I think that there's a split screen sequence in this film that yeah. is deeply empathetic and also a scene set to uh set against i won't spoil it but a kill scene set to don't fear the reaper which kicks ass kicks ass and could be so on the nose i can understand that people roll their eyes at that and be like oh obvious but i found it deeply moving and empathetic and i also think that film i i think that the film is tackling this and generational divide by setting it in the past, if that makes any sense. Where oh, totally the characters themselves are ageist, in my opinion. It's just like we're young and we like to fuck, and uh, they they're uncomfortable with that. Kind of like how every generation is kind of uncomfortable with whatever younger generation sexuality and uh, new openness to sexuality is, if that makes yeah. sense. And even the characters who are like supposedly very enlightened about sex, like they have their own like traditional hangups. Like the, 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 the director who like, doesn't want like his girlfriend acting in the movie and everything. He's like, you uh-huh. gotta back mm-hmm. me up in your bro. Like stop this from happening. And like the guy's like, Hey man, like uh, it's going to happen. Like, you know, don't get so hot up about it. It's Mark. Yeah. It's wonderful in the movie. Yeah. You'd also think in another, I am a man from the ring. Yeah. I remember when I first, watched it, I was just like, who is that guy? And I was like, oh, he's a motherfucker from The Ring. How's yeah. it going? Martin Anderson. I'm glad that they cast him, too, because I think he's great in The Ring. I know he was in Torque. I haven't seen Torque. But he kind of fell <laughs> off oh, the map. Oh, you ain't seen Torque? I have not oh, seen man. Torque. But... That's a LimeWire classic. <laughs> I remember I wanted to see Torque, and it was during one of the few days that we were told the state like school was canceled because it was too cold i was like mom can i go see torque and they were like absolutely not you can't go to school you can't go see torque <laughs> can i, I never... at least go see biker boys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think that was the same year too <laughs> maybe yep. if like, uh, you're a part at most yeah 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 I mean, biker which one had yeah, um, one had Ice Cube, one had Kid Rock. We all remember. Yeah, but I do think there is something about that film's compl- like calling you about your own appetites, sexual appetites, because like we don't go onto these types of sites or watch adult films about like elderly people like wanting to, you know, like I I, I think Speak for yourself. Yeah, okay, <laughs> we all know what Kevin's fetishes are now. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I I would say I would say that yes. It's easy to understand where people are coming from that. And yes, that is an annoying trope in horror movies where it's just like, it's scary because she's old or like, what? I mean, <laughs> I had the same issue with uh, Barbarian where it's just like, no, yeah, she's scary because she's an old naked exactly. lady. Exactly. But I don't think Barbarian says self-aware about this or gives the no. character as much empathy as this. And it's a complicated type of empathy because the older person in this movie or elderly people are complicit in multiple murders. But I also think it subverts a lot of other tropes like the the character who doesn't want to be a part of a porno picture who is dating the director and you'd think in another movie it would be all about her and then it subverts expectations about her character and what happens to her and instead deals with i'd argue a less sympathetic character who's just like i want to be famous and this is how i rise to fame so yeah yeah right yeah uh we will be talking about that again later on my list um Let's see. Uh, Charlie, did you give your number nine? I did not. I'm sorry. Uh, my, okay. my number nine is Stars at Noon by one of my favorite filmmakers, Claire Denis. She had uh, 
quite a uh, year with this and Both Sides of the Blade, which just missed my honorable mentions. I think Both Sides of the Blade is also great. Stars at Noon um, stars Margaret Qualley as a journalist in Nicaragua. It takes place uh, during the present day, during, uh, during the pandemic, and she's trapped, and she's stuck in this... Uh, in a country that is not her own and she has her credentials stripped she doesn't know what she's doing anymore uh in terms of her in, in terms of what her job title uh stands for she claims in what i think is a revealing scene i wanted to know the dimensions of hell and i think that claire denis is a master at depicting very complicit sides of white privilege in countries where they don't belong. And I think that Stars at Noon does a very good job of giving you empathy for this character who is also not a part of this country. And ultimately, Joe Alwyn, who, from Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, people probably know him as Mr. Taylor Swift, dating Taylor Swift. Um, She... Uh, who was initially supposed to be cast by Robert Pattinson, and then that went to uh, uh, Taron Edgerton from the Kingsman series, and then it landed in Joe Alwyn's lap. I think uh, if it was with Robert Pattinson, this film would almost be unbearably sexy. But Joe Alwyn is also, um, even though I don't think he's the strongest actor... I listened to Linoleum Knife's podcast talk about this film, and they perfectly described him as a glass of milk that Claire Denis can utilize uh, perfectly because what it comes down to is everything from her perspective is transactional in order to get what she wants. They find out that for reasons unbeknownst to her, government agencies are after him. She doesn't really know why, but she's sexually attracted to him, and she's kind of just this person who goes to the bar and gets drunk and sees someone of her same ethnicity and is just like, well, I can latch onto this for the period of time. And it kind of plays as a romance, but I don't remember which piece explicitly stated this, but you're kind of witnessing something from a femme fatale's perspective who doesn't know that she's a femme fatale, which I thought was so fascinating because... I think this character has convinced herself that she does love this person, but does she love this person or is she just grappling on to whatever she finds to be somewhat familiar in this country that is unbeknownst to her and is considered to be, from her perspective, lower class because she's from America and just latching onto that and anything she can do to get out of this country, she will, she will do. And it ultimately is all about what is transactional from her perspective and not even consciously. And I think that this film in traditional clarity style is beautifully hypnotic, explores bodies with her. She explores bodies with her camera in a way that is completely erotic. And yet at the same time, uh, uh, completely, like, what am I thirsting for most in this moment when I am feeling like I have nowhere else to be? and or, or I cannot serve any purpose that I'm trying. And what do I thirst for when I 
am dealing with this. And frankly, I think that what I love about this movie and what I love about a lot of Claire Denis films is that she's not really a good person. She's just lost and drunk and a mess. And I think that when it premiered at Cannes, people, or Cannes, people were kind of like, well, this is her worst film. And then I saw the thing and I was like, are you all high? Like, I, I, I'm just trying to picture myself, like, if you saw a Claire Denis film, and I've been to film festivals, but if you saw this stacked in between five other movies, you'd probably be a little sleepy, a little drowsy. And I've read takes from people I deeply respect out of Cannes talking about how this is not her best or how it's sleepy or all that stuff. But I do think that it very much falls into her line of work. And I kind of love that this movie, over time, since it's escapes that film festival, people have been much more receptive to it. And that's when I eventually came around to it. And I think Mark Qualley gives one of the most um, insanely watchable performances of the year because she consistently changes tones and moods kind of erratically based on her state. And she's drunk half the time. And she's you know, desperate, and she's sad and lonely, and I don't want to spoil what happens at the end, but what does ultimately happen at the end does make sense for her character without making her entirely sympathetic. So I think that it's, it's, I, 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 I just, I'm a sucker for her Claire Denise aesthetic, the way she explores the human body, explores sexuality, explores... Um, politics in uh, in countries that are not her own, and I think that it is absolutely one of the highlights of the year. So, a film that worried me, like, oh, is this filmmaker finally making, like, a film that I don't care, like, is this filmmaker who I deeply admire and respect, it, it, did she finally first make, make her first bad film? And then, like, no, oh, no, this is still one of my favorite things of the year. And I think it's absolutely essential to her filmography. So, yeah. Sounds really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a lot of Claire Denis, so I need to get on that. Same. She, uh, The ones that I have seen kind of not been the biggest fans, and they've been some of her more lauded movies but i did really love uh us go home that's my favorite though oh, so far yeah us go home is ass. so good it's yeah. so good that i wish that would get like an actual release but i think it's like Same. the soundtrack is yeah. probably too there are copyright yeah. issues there yeah 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 um okay that was number nine so we're now on to number eight um kind of sp- try try i'm gonna try my best to kind of speed through ones that i don't have much to say but uh my number eight banshees of initiation directed yeah. by martin mcdonough um uh, bryden i think this is on your list later so maybe just yeah <laughs> well if it is wink wink then you give your you know thoughts when we get to it so we can kind of speed past this but yeah banshees of initiation i was not expecting to really like it um oh. it was kind of I mean, after three billboards, which I thought was, uh, mm. um, and, but yeah, it was a lot funnier and I thought it would be, and also the way that it flips the tone just so effortlessly and, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, a, it's this year's entry of guys being dude cinema mm-hmm. and what, what better, what better entry than that. And also, I don't think I've ever seen a movie or at least haven't seen many where it's just about, like, it literally is just about, yeah, I don't want to be friends with you. And that's the entire movie. 
and like and it's not a big revelation it's not because you did this or it's a third act reveal or something like that it's just yeah i don't want to be friends with you that's it and how somebody could just literally let that eat, eat them alive because they have such a expanded view of themselves and also i love that colin farrell is like not a terrible guy he's just he's just annoying and <laughs> he's just he's not what, what was the conversation with him and his sister it's like you're not dull you're just this and you know you could describe him in many different ways but it's just like yeah that's just that's just how things happen and of course he goes into wild ass directions that you would never expect but yeah it's a fun time and it, I need to lock down and finally watch him bruise. So, uh, yeah, that's my number eight. Uh, Bryden, number eight. What do you got? My number eight, uh, mentioned it earlier. Uh, it's Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood by Richard Linklater. Um, Linklater, one of my favorite directors. Um, you know, it's interesting. I read earlier this year, the oral history book by Melissa Mayers about Daisy Confused, which is a fantastic read. Um, yeah, I've read it. and it really, like getting like some of the insights into like Linklater's background growing up in Texas and like being kind of the kid who, who like questioned like tradition and everything. I was like, do we really need to paddle kids who are going into high school like <laughs> each year or whatever? Um, you know, this, yeah. this movie, Apollo 10 and a half, really falls in line with his sort of inquisitive status quo questioning ethos, you know, wondering if tradition is as great as everyone says it is and if there might be something better beyond where he is now. So that means it's ideal that, you know, the movie revolves around the, the main kid having a fantasy about leaving his family behind to go to space where he is important and valued and he doesn't get that all the time. I mean, the movie, you know, Linklater, his movies do have like a very, you know, can have a very easygoing hangout sort of feel. But then there is like a real harshness to some of the scenes. You know, they're like one in this movie, the kid's family, one of their jokes is that like, oh, uh, there are no baby pictures around the house because you were adopted. So sorry. And then like, it's like really fucked up. That that's like what wow. they say to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the movie's not just like, it's not just like a plainly, plainly a nostalgia trip. It's like showing, uh, you know, like it's very critical, but like, you know, the lessons that you got from the adults in your life and, you know, how they had backwards views. There's a scene where, like, you know, they're watching news footage and, uh, like, around the space launch and uh, there's, like, a, a black interview. He says, like, yeah, that money for the space launch could be going towards feeding black people. And then it cuts to, like, the, the scene is great because it cuts to, one, it cuts to one of the daughters going, like, right on. And it's, like, one, it's funny because that's her reaction. And two, it's, like, completely earnest because, like, yeah, like, that is right to agree with it. And I cuss to the dad, who's played by Bill Wise from Cresha, he just looks annoyed and everything. And it's, like, the movie is, like, uh, so the movie is, like, it's kind of, like, I mean, it's kind of, like, Armageddon time where it's, like, looking back at these things and, like, wondering, like, huh, like, should things have been like that? Like, did I get, like, some of the wrong lessons from that? And then, like, looking back at that. And, you know, it's, you know, this movie's been disqualified from the Oscars for Best Animated Category for, you know, using rotoscope animation, you know, like, using actual actors and having animation over them. Whatever, that's a whole thing. Um, but I think it's then very disqualify ideal. Avatar. I'm sorry. And I like <laughs> Avatar. I like I like the way of water, but bullshit. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 totally yeah, fair it's to be stupid. annoyed about it. Um. But no, it's like a very ideal look for this movie because, you know, it looks lifelike but also very exaggerated at the same time. And it's ideal for portraying the headspace of a very over-imaginative, uh, confused uh, adolescent. Um, yeah, really, really like that one a lot. Um, like later, I mean, he's he's a filmmaker I'll always show up for. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of his work. Nice. I also know that Avatar is not qualifying for animated film. I just think that whole thing is bullshit. <laughs> so sure. I just want to qualify. Well, then it, and it's that. like, as, as if, like, full cg movies or whatnot don't 
use templates and stand-ins with humans and blah blah whatever it's 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 stupid it's yeah put that in there why not i mean it is animation it's just on top whatever um charlie you're number eight my number eight is uh, a little-known film called Playground, which I will admit oh. I caught up at the last second because Slant's best film of the years, uh, Slant's best cumulative uh, fil- uh, films of the year, they had this on there, and I was like, huh, I've never heard that, uh, and I've never heard of that. Um, it is a film that, from the first shot to the final shot i had a lump in my throat and i felt like i was gonna cry the entire movie and it to be fair it is only 72 minutes long but i felt like i was like internally crying the entire movie and i will say it is about a film it's about this little girl named nora and it's about her first few weeks at school the time is kind of vague in terms of how how much is uh explored but it's basically this little girl Nora played by uh Maya Vanderbick uh it's French I apologize I don't know how to fully pronounce her name but she's brought oh god (laughs) (laughs) um she's brought will you please get your banjo out of my belly button (laughs) yeah (laughs) keenan is making jokes in a bathtub in the background the entire time uh playground (laughs) it should be bathroom it should be bathroom (laughs) yeah but she's basically it's her first day of school and she's so terrified and she has tears in her eyes and her brother's like don't worry you'll be fine and i'm gonna just sum up the very very uh loose plot real quick because I don't think many people know about this film but she's a younger sister to this older brother who's been in school before and she's terrified and just wants to hang out with her older brother and then very quickly she realizes that her older brother's being bullied and Mm. it's very much about hierarchy even at a young age when you go to school and you realize that few people are willing to listen to you that adult figures um even uh when they have the best intentions are incapable of uh protecting those that are dearest to you even when they're in a bad situation and it has been compared both positively and negatively to a Darden brothers film i happen to love the Darden brothers um, I've not seen more, some of their most recent stuff. I think the last thing I saw was The Unknown Girl, which is in 2016. But mm. for those who don't know the Darden Brothers, if you've seen Two Days, One Night, or Kid with a Bike, or Le Promas, or uh, uh, Rosetta, it is beautifully shot all at children's eye levels, where whenever there's an adult in the, in the frame, they'll always have to peer up and whatnot. And... Um, it's like it's like uh, Charlie Brown or Alvin and the Chipmunks. Kind of, except they don't speak with a <laughs> wah, 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 but they might as well. No, I mean, they might as well. And it, what's sad is that even the, the adult figures have the best intentions, but don't fully understand what the kids are going through. And what I think is so... What 
really struck me were two things. One, I have a younger sister, and while I was not in the same grade range, where it was like my little sister could see me bullied in high school, even though I was picked on a little bit, not enough to the extent that this kid was. Um, just that, um, I guess my second point is that like it kind of relates to, by examining these small children in a new environment where they're expected to be exceptional. Um, sometimes there are outside forces that are literally like, there's nothing we can do. And it really hit me hard and made me deeply empathetic to everything my sister was going toward uh, through as someone who, even though the focus isn't on an older brother, I deeply felt for um, what these kids have to go through these minefield of just like these societal pressures that in order to succeed and how cruel both life as a child and life can be as an adult. And I, it, it deeply, deeply moved me. It's a, it's a, I, I don't want to sugarcoat this either. It's a brutal, emotionally brutal film. There's not yeah. anything graphically violent. It doesn't end in tragedy or anything like that. But I think that, the ways in which it examines trauma through these young kids and what they experience may affect them for the rest of their lives. I found to be incredibly powerful. So yeah. that's what I'll say about that. So, yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. Um, do you know if it's available anywhere? Like how, how, how did you see it? So I'm curious. I saw it. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 okay. It was, it's on uh, iTunes it's on, right uh, now. iTunes right now. No, oh, I, it's on movie. Uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah, it's, it, it was released very early this year. It was like one right. of those things that was like 2020, 2021. It, it got, uh, reviewed, um, very early on in the year. And I believe Manola Dargis from the New York Times had it in her honorable mentions list. Right. Um, it is, it, it, and again, it's not an easy sit, but it's a quick sit. It's 72 minutes, and God, we need more films at that runtime. For the record, Beautiful runtime, as Jack Draper would say. <laughs> yeah. For the record, a movie needs to be as long as it can be. I'm not going to fault any film for being long. But RRR is three hours long. It was on my list. But I think that... There's not a wasted second. I think Laura Wendell, the director, has a keen eye for how to direct young young actors in particular. And I think that it also... I read an interview with her. It took her five years to write the script, which is oh, why it was God, on damn. my list for screenplay, which even though it's not a dialogue-heavy film, I put it on my Bafka screenplay ballot because she had to analyze just how children act and speak and interact with each other today. And it felt all too real, even though I haven't been a child for 25 years. So like I, I, it, it, I found it very pulverizing, but also deeply moving and well, well worth your time. So. Hell yeah. Uh, we on to seven now, I believe. Yes. We've all done. Okay. Uh, my seven, it will be my quickest review uh, my number seven is Top Gun Maverick, directed by Joseph Kaczynski, and my review is, hell yeah. <laughs> Bryden, what's your number seven? <laughs> I still need to see Top Gun Maverick, although I do have Paramount Plus now, so that'll be, I'll be watching it the way it was meant to be seen on my laptop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard it's great. Um, my number seven is Bones and All by Luca Guadagnino. I caught, the, caught up with this one in theaters earlier this month. Um, 
really unsettling for how humane it is on uh, how the movie like has like will cast like this very dreamy romantic tone but then like the threat of something horrible is on the horizon you know i like how trent Reznor and atticus ross's score would be like these very like calming like acoustic guitars but then it becomes all distorted as like bad stuff starts happening it's almost kind of like the movie and the music itself is like suppressing the the true nature of a horror film and everything and that's like what it turns into as the uh, you know like it's, it's like trying to like the character's trying to suppress their true nature um and, you know, I think what makes the movie really like, kind of heartbreaking as well as scary is that, like, the characters do occasionally show signs of, you know, by the way, sorry, I'm, I'm talking about something. We know what these movies are about because we've seen them, but not everyone yeah. who is listening knows. It's about cannibals, uh, this movie. About yeah, two, yeah two, romanticized excuse cannibalism. Me? Uh, yeah, <laughs> half star. Get it out of here. Um, but Disgusting. <laughs> but what I think is beautiful about the movie and heartbreaking is like how it does like show them as people and like you know who like are capable of feeling bad or at least wanted to wanting to feel bad about it and you know wrestling with that and then having actual and like the idea that like you know there could be a side of a person that doesn't care about human life but also that does care about a, a, another person in their life and, you know the love for, that Taylor Russell and Ter Timothy Shaw may have for each other in the movie seems very genuine. And, you know, I think the movie is also really interesting, just like as a horror film, how, like, it is very focused on people and the spaces that they live in. Like, there's, like, a lot of haunting shots of, like, just empty rooms where you know that people have lived. And and there's a shot near the end of the movie where, like, you see a space that someone's been living in and, like, just how quickly it's wiped away of, like, any trace of existence is, like, really, like, it really, it, I mean, it's just, like, really kind of scary about, like, how easily that can just, like, slip away, especially, like, in terms of, like, humanity. Um... Really, and, you know, it's it, it's very good as, like, a lovers on the run sort of movie. It made me think of, like, stuff like Gone Crazy or, you know, Badlands and everything where you are following these characters. And, like, sometimes they have stretches where they're, you know, trying to live a normal life. Um, and then, you know, bad stuff inevitably happens. Uh, and, you know, then it is... David Gordon Green shows up. It's a whole thing. It, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it made me think, actually, like, kind of the tone poem vibe that it's going for. I was thinking, what if David Gordon Green directed this? And I thought, wait, no, I've seen him direct horror movies. No, thanks. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um... But yeah, and like it's, you know, Guadagnino, he's been noted, I think, for like how sensual his movies can be, you know, like, you know, focusing on skin textures and something like Call Me By Your Name. And I think this movie also mm -hmm. plays, is able to like sort of put that in like a, you know, kind of a very sensuous, but also like un unnerving vibe. I really like the scene where Timothy Chalamet is uh, half flirting with, but also like scoping out his, uh, uh, the, the target at, at a carnival stand. Um well, we'll say what happens there, but that scene is like really like where like you know, they got the head on shots and like the red lightning on Chalmay and like where you're you feel bad for the victim because it seems like he's into it and then like when you get the Chalmay and red light, it's like that is not good. Um, uh, yeah, um, it's really interesting. I would like to read. I've seen some writers. Um, I need to read their pieces about like how the movie like stands as like a metaphor for for queer repression. Um, Willow Kate and Willow, Willow McClay, I think, like, wrote a piece about that, and I would love to hear about that, because mm -hmm. I, I, it is interesting how the movie does link queerness with cannibalism. Like, you know, the first maiming that you see is, is Taylor Russell biting a girl's finger off in what seems like at least, like, a very intimate moment. Um, mm -hmm. They also but, have no. Ronald Reagan very early on on a television set to, yes. to emphasize that this is about to be, you know, uh, very emblematic of the AIDS epidemic. Which... Yeah, that, which that's really interesting, and I like there are scenes in this movie that made me really uncomfortable, and I like that it like that it inspired those feelings in me, and like in in ways that like I was put off by, but also like moved by. Like I, I like it is like really funny how the movie is able to like oscillate between those tones in ways that like are you know 
startlingly fluid. Um, yeah, and, and I also want to give like a quick shout out. So I don't want to take too much time up on this movie, but um, Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet. I mean, Russell especially, who I, I think she was so good in Waves, and even in the Escape Room movies, uh, she's mm-hmm. fantastic. But like the way in which like she, you, her character is kind of inscrutable because like her exp- her whole emotional aura can change just from like the way that she carries her posture, where she will be like kind of you know with withdrawn and like you know hunched over and everything but then like there's a shot where she like spots timothy chalamet outside a grocery store and like you get like this low angle shot and she's sort of like arching her back and then you know the way like the, the camera like you know cuts in from her perspective like these rapid like you know zoom ins it almost looks like it's something out of carry or something like that and it's yeah. like oh this is like really cool like and yeah like it, it, she's like just so cool with like her body language how she's able to convey like her character's level of um level of intensity and chalamet i think you know chalamet gets a lot of shit i guess because like he's he could go very big as a performer i think it's like very watchable where he is where he is just like so restless in his energy but i also like that this character like he's he's bizarre but like also he's like it's like he's trying to do an impersonation of an ordinary person i mean the scene where he meets michael stilbark and david gordon green you know it, it the way that like he sort of like awkwardly like approaches for a handshake it reminded me of um the scene in gross point blank this is a weird reference but uh where john cusack and dan Aykroyd are rival hitmen who meet each other and like they're both like reaching for their guns while they like step towards each other for a handshake uh-huh. it's kind of like that in that moment it's like well uh, what's what, what tone should i be striking here um, i i have to yeah. ask what did you think of mark rylance in this film <laughs> so it's a lot but, it's a lot <laughs> but it, i did like it because like it is i don't know it he's he's very tender and or anything but then like he where he is like kind of got like this soft creaky sort of voice and everything but then like the way that his face will just sort of contort as like he's rejected and everything and it, it is like it does like sort of put you off where like he when he like calls taylor russell the c-word it's like yeah that can't, that the, like it's like sort of a sign of like things to come like you almost don't need to see like the violence for it to, yeah. to happen and everything um and it, it's also like kind of it, it's he's always creepy even when he's soft like you're not sure if like he wants to he has sexual intentions towards her or fatherly intentions and everything the way that he walks that line very uneasily it's like really makes makes the character uh scary but but it, it, i could also understand people thinking what the fuck is going on with this performance yeah i um, I, yeah. I guess i just I, I saw this movie, <laughs> let me just also say, real quick, one of the more memorable experiences I had working at the movie theater that I work at this year it, uh, is that we had a ribs screening, a free ribs screening, <laughs> where we literally gave out free barbecue ribs <laughs> during this movie, and I'm, su- I'm surprised nobody yacked, I'll just say that, um... I, I that, guess that theater had to stink. Oh, afterwards. it was it, it reeked. <laughs> it was rancid. Like like I was like, okay, sweeping up the bones. Like like I literally, you know, like which I thought was a fun promotional thing. I I I hear you, Bryden. I wanted to love this movie. I didn't have nearly as many positive feelings towards it as you did. That's okay. Um, yeah. and I, I I and I'm just saying this because I know Kevin, you've seen this movie too. I I I. I love everything that you got. Everything you got out of this movie, I wish I got out of it. As someone who loves Guadagnino and every theme that you're bringing up. Um, I, yeah, I guess I just found the Mark Rylance character to show up conveniently whenever he was needed to push the plot forward. For Well, you can smell it, for miles. Yeah, <laughs> you can smell him for miles. Here, you're having trouble. Here, here's the lessons I need to teach you. Oh, 
I, I'm interested in you. Go away. You C-word? Oh, God damn it. And then, like, at the end, it's just like, it's it, it felt a little too convenient for me. But um, I, I, I think that you bring up great points as to why everyone is responding as positively to this film as they are and why you did. And I wish I just had that, that sense of emotion, uh, emotional catharsis that you had. By the end Mark Rylance in the movie reminded me of the old guy at the bar in The Wedding Singer, where he's just like, I'm sorry, I used to be much stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a country song. Yeah. He also kind of made me, he gave me vibes of the, the episode of, um, the Simpsons where Krusty gets canceled and he holds the sign up that says, we'll hold, we'll drop pants for food. And then Bart and Lisa show up and they're like, any ch- takers, Krusty? Nah, that guy's doing giving it away for free, and he's just got his pants down, and he just goes, "Old gray mare, she ain't what she used to be. Ain't what she used to be. Ain't what she used to be." Like, like that was the vibe I got from that performance. Just like, but I, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like I should see this movie again, just even based on your everything you're saying about it. I, it was something that I was deeply looking forward to, and just, yeah, so. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I also like the presence of the Rylance character, not so much for the performance, but also like what he represents. Like he's their future of these characters. If like if they don't have if like if you don't have someone in your life, then what the fuck do you have to live for or whatever? It's like mm-hmm. this guy, like where he, and like the way that like they're outrunning a fate that they can't escape or whatever. Where like you know Taylor Russell like gets a gets on the bus and it's just like Rylance like standing there like glaring after her on the bus. Like it's like it is like kind of a foreboding warning of what is going to come to these characters in their life as, as these characters. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's, I don't know. I'm, I, 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 I like, it's, it's nice that it's divisive, I suppose. That's that you don't get a lot of, the, you don't always Absolutely. get a lot of those. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Charlie, your number seven. My number seven is the eternal daughter by Joanna Hogg, who just last year gave us the souvenir part two. I liked the Souvenir Part 1 quite a bit. I thought the Souvenir Part 2 was a masterpiece that made me appreciate Souvenir Part 1 even more, and The Eternal Daughter made me appreciate both of those films even more, because it stars Tilda Swinton in a dual role uh, as... uh, Is there any other role for her? Is there any other role? I love movies where we have multiple Swintons. This one was no exception. Uh, She plays Julie, who is essentially the character from Souvenir Part 1 and 2. And I will say, if you haven't seen Souvenir Part 1 or 2, you can still see this movie. I still think you will get a lot out of it. But I also think it's worth noting that uh, uh, Honor Swinton Byrne, Tilda Swinton's daughter in real life, played her daughter in those movies. And now Tilda Swinton is playing a grown-up version of herself. And now she's playing her mother, who she played in both of those films. And they go to a haunted estate, basically, that is essentially where elder uh, the elderly Tilda grew up and it is now just a hotel where no one um it, it, it seems to be when they arrive they claim that no one that like all the rooms are booked and there's no way we can make exceptions and yet it's occupied by an innkeeper who is truly passive aggressive in the most horrific ways um who claims, no, you need to be in this room. We couldn't make accommodations for this room. You absolutely have to stay here. Um, It's hard to discuss this film without getting into spoilers, so I will not. It is very much a mood piece. It's a a gothic drama, um, and it's very much about 
how uh, our relationships with our parents and their memories affect us and the stories they tell us. And uh, I don't want to give away too much, except that it is simultaneously cozy and deeply sad at the same time. Tilda is acting with herself in what I believe is the most restrained way, not even in a comic way. I love in Suspiria where we have Tilda playing headmistress, uh, elderly man, and also Jabba the Hutt. I mean, I mean, I love that shit. <laughs> I love that shit. But here... Or is it electri elect Electric Lust, where she plays like four different robots? Oh, Techno Lust. Techno Lust. Techno Lust. Oh, yeah, where yeah. she literally dips a condom a used condom in like a tea as a tea bag into like her glass and she's like yep okay uh, yeah. yep yeah. uh but uh joanna hogg i think is one of the best semi-autobiographical filmmakers we have right now in terms of uh making films about herself as an artist about um the ways in which her family history has affected her the ways in which she um she's haunted by her ancestry and her past but I, I'm being a little vague here because I don't want to give away because it is a 90 minute movie in which it's basically Tilda acting as mother and daughter and you can't really spoil this movie without having seen it and I just don't want to give away exactly what makes this film so captivating and uh, it, it, it's very minimalist in many ways but it, I, I found it deeply deeply moving in how um, Joanna Hogg analyzes her own um sense as an artist and how her relationship to her family and her and her family's history affect her as an artist and uh yeah don't want to say too much about this because i think you have to go in and just uh vibe with it so yeah that's my number seven all right my number six is kimmy directed by steven soderbergh's movie fucking rules it's yeah. probably the best pandemic movie i've seen uh, I really can't think of any besides ones that are kind of about it, but I mean, stars very noon. much is about it. Yeah, stars and noon. Is somber, yeah. bro. It's a different kind of pandemic movie, though. <laughs> Did you see Locked Up? What was what was the Doug Lyman one? Oh, Locked yeah, Down. Down. Locked Down. My bad. Uh, Songbird. Um, oh God, that yeah, was like the first one with Demi Moore, wasn't she in that one? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's like what is it? Also like ninety goddamn minutes. It's just a, it's just a lean, tight thriller that, uh, uh what is it? Uh, Madison Bell from Swim Fan shows up for like five seconds. What more do you want? <laughs> um, I hope this gets released on Blu-ray. That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have a feeling we're gonna be talking about it more later. So that's my number six. Uh, Bryden, your number six. Yeah, uh, Kimmy, the perfect palate cleanser after National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Um, yep. uh, <laughs> uh, my number six is Emergency by I want to get this director's name, Kerry Williams. I believe it is featured is his feature debut based off a short that he did. Um, it is about a group of college students, uh, uh, played by Donald Watkinson, uh, R.J. Seiler, and Sebastian Chacon, who. They all go, uh, they come back to their house uh, on the way to a party and find out a, a white girl has passed out in, in their house. Uh, and, you know, uh, Kyler and Watkins are black and Chacon is Latino. So they realize that the the optics of this uh, from the perspective of a largely white society um, are going to have like some unfair perceptions about them. So they try very surreptitiously to get this, uh, this uh, girl to the hospital, but then like 
very bad things happen to them where like, you know, their taillight gets busted and, you know, the, the girl's sister, uh, who's played by Sabrina Carpenter, she is going on her own pursuit and having, and we're sharing her gaze sometimes like and as she misinterprets things. So the movie's very smart about that in terms of like what the, what things look like from the, from the raw perspective. But the movie is, and the movie is fully aware of like the horrible, uh, out possible outcome of this situation if people have like, misinterpret uh, have dangerous misinterpretations about the situation but the, the, there's also a lot of very fun banter it's a it is largely a comedy but just like loaded with this this unbearable tension and um Watkins I think gets like sort of like the the high um the high strung sort of like a, a uh, nervousness of it all while RJ Cadler is kind of like the more cool-headed um comedic relief while doing this and um Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. I saw this movie also like about quite a few months ago, but it's but it's really it's, it's a very impressive tonal tightrope um, that Kerry Williams walks in the movie, and I think his his actors are all more than up to the task. And the the ending definitely like leaves a real gut punch as like the characters sort of have to live with what they've gone through. But then there's also mm -hmm. and also not soft pedaling uh, the the shrill racism uh, of uh, the Sabrina Carpenter character who is just like having all all kinds of horrible perceptions uh, mis misconceptions about what's happening. Um, really, mm -hmm. really strong movie. Highly recommend. That's that's my time on that. I've yeah. I've missed it, and I'm sad that I did because I've heard like you that it's it's quite great. It's and on Prime whenever you want to watch it. So hell, hell yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie, you're number six. My number six is No Bears by Jafar Panahi. Uh, I will admit this film is not available just yet. I am very 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 uh, lucky to have gotten a press screener for it. It is uh, very much about Jafar Panahi, the director, playing himself, uh, making a film in lockdown. If, for those who don't know, Jafar Panahi has been on um, house arrest in Iran, or was on house arrest uh, back as early as 2010. If you are familiar with this film, this is not a film that is all about him, and it's semi-autobiographical. And here he is making a film about... Um, well, he's making a film just about... I, um, the uh, the injustice about making art in Iran. And he is still on house arrest in this film. And unfortunately, without being too specific, he captures something on film in this movie that threatens the lives of others. Uh, threatens the lives of a few others, as a matter of fact. And it's very much, without uh, uh, trying to get too spoilery, he... It's ultimately about what is necessary as a form of uh, political uh, uh, of political um, call to action and being an artist and how that will affect you and what you're trying to state and how it may negatively affect others in your pursuit of making said art. It is uh, devastating and haunting, and it is not in theaters until next year, which is a bummer because, and I hope people seek it out who are able to seek it out. It's probably not going to get wide. It, it is certainly not going to get wide distribution. I hope that those who are able to seek it out where they can, uh, do because, uh, for those who don't know, Jafar Panahi was actually arrested and he's still in jail, uh, for, basically uh being <laughs> for basically calling out the uh, injustices within Iranian society and uh watching this knowing that because that was about 6 months ago I want to believe uh 
makes this film all the more pow uh, powerful. And I think that it is um, both as a film dramatically, uh, dramatically incredible. Uh, it is dramatically one of the most compelling things you'll see this year, but also as a, uh, as a hall of mirrors reflects, uh, Panahi's own confliction when it comes to how far he should, uh, take himself as an artist, as a member of society and what that, uh, of, of his country society and what will ultimately, uh, befall others if he consistently puts others in danger. So I know that's very, very vague, but many people haven't had a chance to see this yet. And I don't want to spoil uh, what uh, the the incredible uh, impact that this film had on me and hopefully will have on uh, other people who are able to seek it out in the new year. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, my number five is Prey, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. Ooh. This movie rips. It rips even harder after going through all of the Predator movies. And I was like, oh, this is only one of two good ones. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, especially after watching the five before, I was just like, thank God they did something different. Because all the rest are just the first movie being remade, but worse. Um, but yeah, uh, Amber Midthunders, such a great lead in this. She's want to see her in more stuff. Yeah, yeah, just amazing stuff. I mean, real ones know her from uh, the Ice Road, uh, which came out last year. So, yeah. okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. She is great. Yeah. In Bryden's top five of last year. Um, but yeah, I I also wish it got a theatrical release because I'm sure this would have been a fucking blast in a theater. Yeah, number five. Uh, Bryden, you're number five. Nice. Yeah, my number five, uh, as discussed earlier, Banshees of Inishirin by Martin McDonough. Uh, yeah. This movie is great. I love seeing Hell this in yeah. a theater where everyone was laughing at like a lot of the jokes because uh, there is like a lot of like great banter. I love the way McDonough will have like certain have characters repeating certain phrases, uh, even no matter like how how like how much of a mouthful it is to repeat and everything. Where like uh, you know like Colin Farrell says like you know if I mean, if I said something to you when we were drunk and I don't remember it, I'm sorry. But if I or you know and like he'll like repeat something that's like one part of the phrase and he'll repeat it like three other times in the conversation. Uh, it's really, really snappy. I'm, of course, doing a terrible job of bringing justice to it. Um, no, but it's all too relatable, is what you're saying. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Because I get, yeah, I get that. And, I get and, that. And yeah. I also you, uh, did, you didn't say feckin' enough, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think the movie. I mean, it, I don't even think it's the. It's funny until it's not. It is like it's funny, and then oh, that's like really bracing. And you know, like it's. I knew the general premise of the movie that it was like someone doesn't want to be friends with, you know, Brendan Gleeson doesn't want to be friends with Colin Farrell anymore. But what's like so devastating and shocking about the movie is I think about how Gleeson, there's the scene where Gleeson lays out the premise of like, if you don't leave me alone, this is what I'm going to do. And Farrell, the look of horror and hurt in his eyes as he mm -hmm. realizes just how meaningless, meaningless he is in this guy's eyes, just like wrecks him mm -hmm. to his core. It's like, it, it, I mean, that's the, that's the heart of the movie. It's like, it's, it's so, it, it's so heartrending and everything. But then, um, I mean, I also love Carrie Condon in the movie who like, I realized I, I She's seen, amazing. like five other movies with her. So good. Did not pick up on it. And like, she, like, I hope she gets like more meteor, meteor roles after this. Cause like, she's, she's yes. great and everything. But, I mean, the scene, I mean, it's so funny when she's spending off Kurt Barry Keegan's advances in the movie 
Um, oh, that's so good. Uh, where like mm-hmm. she's like sort of like shaking her head, like wild? Am I wild? What do you mean? And then, <laughs> um, but then like the scene where she like shuts him down more politely is like just like the the emotions where she she's touched by his his advances, but then also just can't feel that way about him like the way she like kind of navigates not wanting to hurt this guy while also being honest is like so well played and i think also the way her character functions in the movie where she realizes that not everyone likes her like the the brutal cop who like says no one actually likes you i uh, like that the, the scene where she like cries about that is like so heartbreaking but then like where she realizes that there is love in her life from her brother and you know even Barry Keegan, the local idiot, um, but like in the, how like she realizes that doesn't let her get her down, and Farrell was like kind of like the devastating, you know, inverse of that, where like he just he can't get over this, and it is like it, and the lengths that he goes to to try to preserve this relationship that really probably in the great scheme of things is not worth it is like it's so it's so sad, but like so relatable and everything, um, and but also like very funny because like the, it's just like becomes so over the top, um, yeah, it's like it's such a humane movie uh and but also so funny without ever pulling his punches and also like it's it you know it, it's funny how like uh this town does not look like the best place to live because it is so cloistered no. but like i love the way they film like the, the dark interiors. it looks so beautiful it, it, it looks like so cozy even though it is mm-hmm. dark you know inside those like wooden lantern lit uh pubs uh like there is like a real hominess to it that is like comforting even while the characters are very hostile to each other at the beginning of the movie i was like i need to go here now and then by the end of the movie i was like oh my god i can never live here because the isolation and depression that will sink into my bones will be unbearable (laughs) yeah yeah i looked up and there is a movie carrie uh carrie condon and colin farrell were in in 2003 called intermission oh yeah Uh, i'd like to see that well, uh, the uh, top review on Letterboxd made me laugh. Uh, it says, there's nothing more Irish than having a U2 song play as Colin Farrell threatens a motorist with a shovel. Sounds like my favorite movie. Great. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Um, Charlie, you're number five. My number five is my favorite documentary of the year. It is uh, All the Beauty in the Bloodshed by Laura Poitras. You might know her from uh, the Edward Snowden doc, Citizen Four. Um, this time she focuses on an artist, uh, Nan Golden, who is a, has been a very, uh, pronounced, uh, well-known artist. I will admit, I'm going to lay my own, uh, cards on the table. I didn't really know much about Nan Golden. And, um, I think if you don't, that's totally fine because like me, uh, I was totally enraptured in all of her, um, in, in what she wanted to capture, uh, through photography primarily and other forms uh, through outsiders um, in, in the world, it, primarily in our, in America today. Um, and it ultimately deals with her combining her own work with much like no bears, which we talked about. It's very much about um, even though no bears is a fictional film and this is a documentary kind of uh, deals with her own call to action as an artist and using her art, um, as a film of uh, as a form of political protest against the Sackler family, who is um, has donated to several um, museums and other places of uh, other other uh, facilities within the art world, but they are also very much responsible for the opioid e- uh, epidemic. And uh, Nan Golden is very open from the first frames of the film to being a survivor of opioid addiction 
and using members of um, a foundation that she founded called Pain to bring them down, to make them complicit in um, knowing how much, as the title very much conveys, uh, how much... uh, how how many lives they've taken as a result of being responsible for this and it just got released uh even limited even in in limited places across the country it just got released in december um i think it is undeniably devastating and it is not an easy sit um there are scenes that are absolutely wrenching but i, I in terms of use in terms of creating a portrait of how to use art as a political weapon to bring billionaires down for their crimes and combining what talents they have as unique voices i i i i was absolutely floored by this thing i couldn't recommend it more highly so that's my number five yeah it, it, it sounds good need to watch it uh, can't wait i'll be watching more documentaries next year so that might be one i've been terrible with documentaries this year i just want to also lay that on the table it's totally i've been okay. terrible with documentaries and this is one of the few that i caught and it absolutely tore my heart into shreds so it, it, Hell yeah. yeah you didn't watch that the found footage phenomenon you didn't watch that documentary i, I did not is that just me yeah it's pretty bad <laughs> anyways my number four is a cheat my number four is X and Pearl, directed by Ty West. Kind of talked about this oh, already, but both you. of them. <laughs> I know I had to. Um, if I if I didn't cheat, Pearl would probably be in like my number eight slot. But um, yeah, it's just it, 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 it it's it's that it's it's so great to have this um, now turned trilogy at the same time that the Halloween reboot trilogy is going on. And while one brings me nothing but anguish, pain, and disappointment, and the other one, I'm just like, yeah, why not? Make another one. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You got like $1 million? Go make another movie with Mia Goth. Give her a seven-minute monologue that kicks ass. <laughs> uh, yeah, big fan of these. Can't wait for Max- Maxine next year. It's going to kick ass. Yeah, same. Uh, Bryden, you're number four. My number four, Charlotte Wells' After Sun. Love this movie. Oh my yes. gosh. Um, just like a beautiful, and you know, it kind of relates to another, it, it reminds me sort of of another movie on my, on my list uh, that I'll get to later. I won't say yet, but um, it's it, a, a great movie about looking back at your childhood and realizing how you're not able to understand your parents until like hindsight 2020. Um, you know, the movie has like, and the, the movie has like this really haunting quality where it is looking back at this girl's vacation with her father, who is not much, older than her um and you know framing him in like these in in these ways that like you don't see him in the presence so like the implication is that maybe something happened to him or that he is no longer alive um but the way the movie like frames him like from like low angles where he is like standing on a ledge or like having him like in these you know seeing him through screens and in these like very like um rapidly lit um, uh, flashing light sort of strobe light rave sequences um, uh, where like wanting to reach out to him and touch him but not being able to and like that sort of like heartbreaking inability um it's really like uh, it's it's really quite rending and um paul mescal i think is wonderful in this where he is like mm-hmm. kind of like an he will behave like an overgrown kid sometimes you know like throwing dinner rolls at, at like these helpless hotel get, uh, hotel workers but then like he will like have these moments of like 
startling openness where like he talks about like you know you know i can't believe i made it to 30 i don't i can't picture myself at 40 and then like he kind of just freezes Ugh. and he realizes about the implication of that god damn um, it Bryden. It's, i'm getting choked up just hearing that it's like <laughs> it's so beautifully played and you know i love um it's one of my favorite pieces of music uh music uh soundtracking near the end of the film as like this all comes to all comes to a head um where it is like the idea of like wanting to reach out to someone who is no longer in your life and not being able to, it's just, it, it just gets me. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's just a lovely movie. And I think it, it will definitely speak to people who have like, who want to like understand their, who, who have like close relationships with their parents and want to understand them. Yeah. It's, 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 that, that's us. I don't know. <laughs> Whether no, you know, have a I nice relationship with your parents or not, this movie it conveys its ideas very effectively and with visuals too. Uh, goodness, that's not stupid. Anyways, yeah. Um, no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. Um, I, I, I'm just going to jump the gun and say uh, that might be higher up on my list and the film that you are also referencing might be my number four. Or, no, wait. Oh, shit. Uh, did I... Wait. Number four, you're next. Okay, number four. I think the film that you were <laughs> referencing is The Fablemans, which is my you number know, four. <laughs> it, it fits with that. That's a, it was another movie I was thinking of, but I'll get to that later. But yeah, Fablemans. Oh, okay, okay, great. Yeah. Um, well, The Fablemans, uh, yeah. Uh, I will just say, this was uh, when I voted in the Boston Online Film Critics Association. I had this at number nine. I rewatched it with my parents last night. Uh, or yesterday. Uh, and... Uh, I, I mean, Steve, what else is there to say about Steven Spielberg? The guy's a master. I have not responded as highly to anything he's made since, I want to say, Munich? BFG? I, oh. oh, no. no. <laughs> I don't oh. even remember the BFG. I did see it, but I, uh, God, put a gun to my head and be like, uh, farts? Uh, that's all I can remember about that Big one. Big farting giant. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I think this is the best film he's made in over a decade. I, I think everything that Bryden is also saying about After Sun, which might come back later, uh, I think that he... I, I think that this film is so beautiful and hits way too close to home. It's someone who is not a filmmaker, but is obsessed with film and how art... Uh, how much art means to someone and how much it can almost take over you passionately in a way that... Uh, might, especially at the age in which Spielberg's depicting a, 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 a version of himself, um, can overtake you in terms of everything else that's going on in your young life. And I was astonished by how self-critical some of these scenes are. Without spoiling anything, there is a devastating scene in this film that I will not uh, go into detail about, but there's a shot that's there's a mirror in a shot that shows him and it's not actually happening in the film, but it's showing him, how would I film this? You know, like, and which is eventually what he's doing in general. And, um, I, I, I found it to be the, uh, one of the most nuanced films he's made in so long. I think that the cast is phenomenal. I think that Spielberg uh, often gets criticized for being too blunt or too uh, sentimental with his certain Hollywoodized quote-unquote sheen. And I always think there are prickly things lurking underneath the surface. And this movie, certainly upon a second viewing, hit me even harder. And um, I'm sure it's going to be an awards consideration, but this is, uh, I'd say, out of all the films that are going to get like 
high praise awards consideration. This is the one that I think has the most layers by a filmmaker that deserves um, the most attention in terms of that. And it just, even if you, like, fuck the awards. What am I talking about? It's a great movie. It's a great fucking movie. And, uh, And for those who are like, well, he just grows up to be Steven Spielberg and we wouldn't care about him if he wasn't Steven Spielberg. A, I don't believe you. It's a great movie regardless. And B, get over it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. Like he deserves. Kinda, he deserves. You, you kind of can't watch it without yeah, that. So how can you, you? Yeah. yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like you can't. De- like it, it's that thing where like you can't. I can't separate this. Well, you're not supposed to get over it. You know, it's a great movie. Also, so that's like hard. That's it's kind of like certainly too cold to say something like that. It's like, oh, this kid had a messed up family. Boo Yeah. But why should I care? It's like, yeah, but if <laughs> if the cast of Jackass Forever wasn't in it, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> yeah, <so>. exactly. <laughs> also, he makes all of his family members into human beings and he ver- has been very open in interviews. I didn't want to put anybody you know, my parents who are now have now passed away. I believe his dad passed away at 104, which is insane. Yeah, he didn't want to well, put him through that. I he doesn't damn. demonize anybody everybody's a human being okay it takes place in spielberg land those are the rules get with it what he's doing is great (laughs) it's a great movie (laughs) hell yeah hell yeah uh did i watch it yeah i watched it yesterday i liked it oh Um, shit david lynch with uh the maybe the best heat check of the year now get the fuck out of my office No, 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 no. (laughs) He somehow plays David Lynch and John Ford so well. (laughs) It was so weird. It was like, I looked and I was like, oh, there's like five minutes left. I was like, did I miss him? Was he in like heavy makeup? Like what? Then I was like, oh, I know it's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, My number three is I've been waiting because I want to talk about this so much. And it's one that's not going to be on either one of y'all's list and probably not on a lot of people's list. Number three is Soft and Quiet, directed by Beth D. Arujo. Which I, I did see. see. I did I see. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, this is a movie that I did not even know existed until Charlie told me about it. Um, oh. I watched the trailer, and thankfully the trailer gives nothing away whatsoever. It's a great trailer. It gives you... So if you're... Just, just watch the trailer, because I don't want to spoil it, because I... I got it somewhat spoiled at least the the initial reveal once you know what these people are i knew that and i kind of wish i didn't but it i mean it's a uh it's shot in quote-unquote one take there's apparently like four cuts in it um they shot it i think over seven days and they had to do it like exactly at like 538 every single time or something weird like that but this is a movie that I also, before I watched it, I saw a lot of people being like, wow, this is so gruesome and in your face and blah, blah, blah. And then a lot of people being like, yeah, what's the point? Terrible people exist. What's the point? And after I got Charlie to watch it, because as soon as I watched it, I was like, yeah, you have to fucking watch it right now because mm-hmm. this this is our <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> that you quoted Roger Ebert's review of Henry Portrait of a Silicon Killer. It's like, the reason we should be watching this is because these people exist. And these people shouldn't exist just to get their comeuppance because that's not what happens in reality. And there's a lot of people that I a hundred percent agree. that are just like, I don't want to see this in art, but it's just like, yeah, but life should imitate art. And if you're just going to ignore this and only exist in it through life, then I, I like movies that it took me, I, I could not stop thinking about this for like a week. 
Um, I didn't know if I enjoyed it or I was just like enraptured by it or just was just so shocked by it or how how far it actually went there. And I think as far as the one take gimmick of it all, I think it really works here because it never gives you a chance to breathe. And I think that's a big driving force of the movie is that you are with these people when this action is happening. There's no cutaway to a quiet room for five to ten minutes before it ramps back into it. It's it's complete chaos for like an hour straight. And I think it's fucking brilliant because I was enraptured in it through the entire time. And I don't know. I love movies that challenge me and I love people that you don't get to see in some people say you shouldn't see and they should not be depicted this way because it doesn't very obviously show them as bad people but if you can obviously read between the lines it shows that they're terrible people um but yeah just made me think a lot and boy howdy i i don't know if i'll ever go back to it or go back to it anytime soon but it 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 it's it's stayed with me ever since i've watched it yeah it's it's grueling it's uh, yeah. to, to put it in one word i'd call this movie grueling um and I, I completely agree with you, and thank you for that shout-out, Kevin, because, um, yeah, it I watched this about a month ago. Um, it's, it's, it's harrowing, harrowing cinema, and I was not as taken by the one take uh, as you were, mainly because I cons- consistently felt that it was drawing attention to itself through that, but I, I certainly give credit to where it's due in that it's an audacious uh style that I do I, that it, it clearly worked on you and I I, I I think that's great um the other thing is that it is made by a Chinese American immigrant but uh, yes. I'm, uh it's Beth de Arujo who mm-hmm. if this was made by and I don't that's the thing I don't ever want yeah yeah I don't ever want to say what people should make what movies I mean that, that, that just comes down to policing it, it, you shouldn't have to say that but the fact that it is made by a Chinese uh, a, a Chinese uh, American woman and without spoiling too much the people who these people eventually come to victimize are what I would assume are Chinese American immigrants right. uh and she was very candid in what I've read about, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, she was basically saying I've experienced a lot of racism in our country. And this is mm-hmm. kind of me taking it to, you know, the the worst possible outcome. And it is. And, and yeah, I I'm fucking flattered that you brought up like I did think about. You know, some people, I think it. what's funny about this is it's universally acclaimed. If you look at it on Metacritic, it has like an 82. It's gotten wow. like a, a huge fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's people who I understand absolutely why they find it to be morally repugnant. 1,000%. It is, yeah. it is unbearable to sit through at times, especially certain mm-hmm. scenes I never, ever want to see again. At the same mm-hmm. time... It is challenging, and I also watched it with my roommate who grew up in the South, and me being in my fucking Northeast liberal bubble, I had the question, I was like, do people really talk like this? And, you know, he was just like, yeah, yeah, there are people who absolutely talk like this when they're in safe environments. And I, I had to question my own privilege multiple times watching this thing, and it challenged me in terms of like, well, I already know this. Do I need to see it? Well, sometimes people fucking need to see the shit. And I don't even <laughs> love the movie as much as you do, but it did uh it did horrify me in ways that 
people probably never want to see. But sometimes that, to argue that this thing is completely uh, repugnant without any sense of um, artistic merit, I think, is is a little naive. And I think yeah. that it, it absolutely does linger with you long after it's over. So, Yeah. God. It's on yeah, my that last. Yeah. That that last shot where I was just like, okay, the movie's over. Wow. Yep. And then I gave you that, and I was just like, I could almost see that as a cop out, but I'm also glad at the same time. But at the same time, it doesn't provide any sense of catharsis. It, no. it, it provides no. you to fill in the Whatsoever. blanks, and that that I think is what I I think the ending is. I completely agree with you. I think the ending it it provides no sense of catharsis. It provides just this the amount of what you need to see, and then hope will happen if that makes any sense maybe maybe who knows i mean that's <laughs> yeah, the other knows? horrifying you know aspect of that movie so yeah watch it with your mother uh brian you're <laughs> number three i don't know uh, if you watch this, number... i'm just imagining cool. my mom being like you ruined christmas get out like <laughs> <laughs> mom there's like five more seconds don't worry don't worry yeah. no <laughs> shoving you out the door yeah. <laughs> God. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, it's all good. Um, my number three, uh, as mentioned on by Kevin earlier, Kimmy by Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. Uh, Soderbergh. I'm not going to lie. I thought this was your number one, so I'm shocked. <laughs> ah, it, it might have been my number one for like a while because I, mm-hmm. it, it, I mm-hmm. had not seen other movies that surpassed it um, until recently. But um, Soderbergh, I love that like he'll just make these movies that seem like to- toss off genre pieces and then like they, they're like among some of the best stuff that he's ever made. <laughs> um, this would like be in, this might be in my top 10 for Soderbergh. If, if not, it, I mean, he's made a lot of movies, so it's like, it's hard to say. But um, yeah, no, I think this is like a really thoughtful movie about like surveillance and, uh, and also uh, sort of like who who gets believed in, in, in trying to report these scenes. I mean, you know, the fact that Zoe Kravitz is, is, you know, uh, an assault survivor in the movie and, mm-hmm. and also a black woman and, you know, autistic as, as some, as some friends have pointed out that like, that's like a, she's autistic coded because she has like a puzzle keychain, which I thought was really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like the movie and like showing how like hollow corporations are like, you know, Frida Wilson saying like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, she's I'm, I'm so, so sorry about this. Yeah. The, 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 the sort of like very phony, you know, t- uh, gentleness that she projects is like, so it, it's so, what are we doing here? Oh, yeah. it's so devastating that uh, she asks that. Oh, God yeah, and like, and really empathetic in like how it places you so firmly in Kravitz's headspace. You know, like that scene initially when um when she hears the recording of what's what's happening and the way that it's buried underneath the audio of massive attacks at Ursa Creeps. I mean, that's like just an incredible, yeah. incredible detail drop. Yeah. Where like that song like is like rising up and like you know, having, like, these, like, sort of, like, this chorus of voices rising up, and, like, you get the sense that there's something uneasy in the song, but there's also something uneasy in the recording that's, like, dueling with it. Um, and the way that, like, the film... It's, like... I, I'd love to know how Soderbergh did it, but, like, the way that the, the the film is even shot seems to change when she goes outside, where everything, like, looks... Yes, looks so chaotic. super rapid and everything. Like, yes. everything seems, seems to be moving at such, at such a higher speed. It really, like, just gets, like, the anxiety of that character's headspace, which is, like, really unexpected. Like, I don't... I, I think Soderbergh, like, cares about characters in his movies, but, like, I didn't expect, like, that intense... Such an intense sense of empathy in the way that he mm-hmm. adopted that character's POV. And Kravitz is just, like... She's such a facially expressive actress. Like, I mean... And, yes. like, I've liked her a lot... 
I've liked her presence in other movies, but like, I, it really kind of made me angry at like, wow, like she has not really had this meaty oh, a showcase for her acting talents until this point, it, or at least not one that I could think of. Yeah. Certainly not in movies. She, um, she had a really good role in Big Little Lies season one, and uh, then they completely season two. Jesus fucking Jesus Christ, Christ they squandered that really character work. so hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that show, uh, but like, yeah, they don't. They, her character gets kind of the short end of the stick, character wise. Um, but yeah, it, it's great, and I, I love, and it's funny too. I it works. It's just like a. I think Soderbergh is great at craft, crafting like satis, conventionally satisfying thrillers. Uh, there was a book that Aaron Baker wrote about Soderbergh as part of the contemporary filmmakers uh, series, and he said like Soderbergh is like you know he's always like very cautious or like concerned about like showing like the horrible effects of violence in like a way that's not enjoyable or something like that, and. I don't know. I like I watch the community. It's like, oh no, I kind of disagree. I think the violence of this is actually kind of satisfying when it gets to like the climax. I, oh, I was kind of yeah. like pumping my fists, but like, yeah, no, it's yeah. it's it's it's. it's I just love these kind of like you know fleet uh, economic thrillers with like you know some social commentary on its mind, but also just bolstered by like a, a great lead performance. Uh, yeah, no, Soderbergh just like pulled it off and makes it seem so effortless. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like there's there's things you can read into it, but also just just works as just a straight up thriller. Like, I love movies like that where it's just like, it's not heavily metaphorical. It doesn't have to go into that. You could just watch it completely brain off, and that shit will work. And if you just turn your brain on a little bit, there's a bunch you can read into. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, you're number three. My number three is After Sun, which I won't spend too much time there on because Bryden so eloquently. Uh, conveyed everything that destroyed me in this movie. Uh, one thing I will say that. I, I will say is uh, uh, there is a shot in this film in which uh, it's it's semi-autobiographical, as you said, Bryden, about Charlotte Wells' own uh, final time that she saw her father. And there's a shot in which her surrogate um, takes a Polaroid photo with Paul Mescal, and it is slowly developing, and you never fully see it come into full <laughs> and it it you know watching this thing for the first hour i i loved it but i was like i see what this thing is doing but i i'm waiting for the payoff and then the ending of this thing is so unbelievably devastating and it is like second to my number one which i will not reveal obviously but it it, it, it is a final shot that absolutely crushed me <laughs> like i think it the editing by blair mcclendon it's in my opinion, some of the best editing of the year, possibly the best editing of the year, and the final shot in how it brings in everything that you've seen before and the timelines meshing with one another and how it conveys everything in its final moments where you don't know exactly what happens, but you do at the same time and yeah. how that all just completely collapses on top of your heart, just completely destroyed me. And I I watched it late at night, and I was like, okay, I'm sobbing, guess I'll just continue crying myself to sleep now. <laughs> like, it, it just completely devastated me. And I think it's absolutely, Charlotte Wells is a force to be reckoned with, best directorial debut of the year in my book, and uh, I can't wait to see what she does next. This film Yeah, I mean, gutted. yeah, like one, of, one of the shots near the end of Mescal, like, one of the poses that he strikes during that big dance scene near the end, when, like, it's, like, the strobe lights, it's, like, that's, it's so haunting, the, yeah. the look that he has on his face. And yeah. also, like, wanting, 
I mean, it's funny how like there, there's like so many moments that feel like ephemeral in the movie, but then the way like the stillness too, where it will just be like oh, a yeah. a long shot of like Mescal like sort of swaying from side to side while smoking a cigarette, just wanting to stay in these moments that like are in the past. It's just oh, and, it's, and, it's so beautiful. And, and the ways it brings up things like we know that her parents are divorced, but you can tell Paul Mescal still has feelings for her. You don't know exactly what feelings, but you know they still have some sort of attachment. You know that she has these feelings about her father, who she never saw again, but does she even know exactly how he felt, or is the are these the feelings that she's putting into place? And there's uh, certain things about, uh, you know, classism with, like, you know, they're clearly tight on money, and he's feeling depressed about his age. Um in terms of just being a functional human being in his thirties, just like, and how without spoiling anything, she's now recollecting on that just is so unbelievably empathetic and beautiful. And God damn it. This movie fucking wrecked me. So yeah. Yeah. I need to watch it. God damn it. <laughs> um, my number two cue the goddamn music. It's jackass forever directed by yeah. Jeff Tremaine. Let's fucking go. <laughs> The most fun I've had with a movie this year, uh, as soon as it started, I started to get teary-eyed. I was like, my fucking boys are back. <laughs> oh, this movie brought you to tears. That's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it it just brings me so much joy. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of guys just hanging out, having fun, while abusing themselves. Why not? Silence of the Lambs skit is, oh I don't know, I, I, haven't, I haven't laughed that hard in a while. Um, the opening, my lord. Um yeah, it's just it, it it brought me so much joy and I really needed it at that time and it's I I love it. I love the guys so much. So glad they came back. I'm glad that we as a culture have also come to I feel like everybody's for the most part. I mean, Jackass has always been divisive, but I feel like as a culture people like I remember being in high school when the second one came out and my mom was starting to let me see certain things and she was like, "You absolutely cannot see this." You know, like like it is absolutely like and you know, like as if it was like evil or something like that. And I kind of love that over time people are just like, "No, these are look, what like them or not, they're fucking artists who are literally devoting their bodies for art, you know, for entertainment, for, and, and and you know what? Sometimes like slapstick comedy, it's still funny. I mean, like not to bring this shit up, but like from the silent era, people were devoting their bodies to literal physical harm or potential harm. I mean, Mm -hmm. and the fact that these people have such a bond with one another, the, the friendship, my favorite, my favorite thing is, just the collective laughing like it it makes you feel like you're with a bunch of your friends and also it's just like after everything if it goes off with a hitch everybody is just so happy and proud of another and they're hugging and laughing it's just like what more do you want exactly i didn't think there would be one past three the fact that we got another one is a blessing (laughs) i know it's just so much fun uh brian you're number two yeah, my number two is uh, the movie I was thinking of when I was talking about After Sun is a movie about understanding your parents from a child's point of view. It's Celine Sciamma's Petite Mama. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, <laughs> what a lovely movie. I watched this with my mom last week, and like <sighs> right away we were just like kind of like struck by how well Shama gets the way that kids talk to each other and move and behave. I mean, like the way that like the kid like asks, oh, tears open the bag of sacks and like just sort of, like savors each bunch of like the bit of the cheese bit like it's like we can easily see our niece doing that like that same gesture and like feeding it to the mom like i mean that's like a funny joke that like the hands are reaching in at the frame to feed the mom juice a juice box while she's Mm. driving 
and it's it's so beautiful like how like the way the kid is so the main kid is so understanding of her younger mom i mean there's like the scene where they're play acting and um the the kid says and the younger mom says i want to be an actress and she says it kind of sheepishly and like you cut to like the daughter and being like oh like this is something i didn't know about my mom and like she says really and then the way that she's so encouraging of it is like you you should you could be that and everything and it's like showing how kids can be so understanding of each other in a way that adults aren't, aren't always are and you know the the way that um I also love that, like, you know, there is, like, a sense of wonder to um, uh, to the movie and, like, not just in the performances in which the kids are so open with each other immediately, despite not not having met before. Um, like, the way that, like, you know, you'll get, like, the howling wind when, like, you're, like, looking at an empty room and everything. It, 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 it'll, it, it is kind of eerie, like, the, the familiarity of it, you know. And the, the familiarity and unfamiliarity of, the, of this space and everything, just, like, you know, just going between... She's in the one house and everything, but she's going to it in different timelines where it looks different. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a lovely movie, and it, it's it's so warm and open hearted, and the, the the child performances are just like na- effortlessly natural and everything. I mean, like I found out afterwards that they were twins, uh, mm-hmm. who were playing each, the, the mother and daughter, um, and it, it it just yeah, it feels totally lived in, and uh, yeah, no, I really loved it. It's my favorite Shyamalan I've seen so seen, seen so far. Um, I need to see a couple of other movies, but yeah, it's it's lovely and seventy two minutes, beautiful, beautiful, uh, yeah, incredible. Charlie, your number two. My number two is Crimes of the Future. <laughs> you depraved man. <laughs> you, Hell yeah. You dirty, dirty pig. Um, <laughs> no, but... Crimes of the Future, you're committing a crime of the present right now. <laughs> so lock him up. Yeah, I am. Uh, David Cronenberg is one of my favorite filmmakers, and that definitely comes into play. I mean, this is arguably my most anticipated film of the year, and I will admit, the first time I saw it with. Um, with Friends of the Pod, uh, Jack Draper and Brad Avery, we kind of saw it and we're like, huh, that wasn't what I was expecting. And then I, I saw it again, merely two days later, and was like, oh my god, this is like a magnum ul-. Like, I knew it was a magnum opus, but just, just gathering everything that Cronenberg has ever wanted to say about the body and... um. And how his types of, uh, how his types of commentaries about autonomy and, um, and and what our our sick, depraved <laughs> yearnings for certain things building up into making commentaries about who we are as a, a fucking species, I found to be so provocative and so yes gross but also challenging i mean i can't it, it you know I, I i haven't seen this since june of this year but i can't think of another film that really uh, uh, uh really got me to question everything he was saying about where we're headed um why we are so technically <laughs> to put into a certain uh uh, vague uh, terminology depraved as a human society, but also ha- what we what we have agency over in terms of um, ourselves, our bodies as uh, going forward. I mean, it's hard to get into the plot, especially within this um, uh, this confined episode that we have. But I found so much of what it's asking about 
you know, we it, it takes place in a society where pain is no longer uh, something that human beings feel. And how does that how does that make us um, operate? What is the uh, what does that mean when it comes to uh, certain uh, sects of government um, and, and, and and how they um, determine whether what we're meant and what we're allowed and allowed not to do um, are there are lots of queer readings that I I have just loved reading over over and over again about there's trans allegories here there's um a film noir story here there's Cronenbergian body horror there's Kristen Stewart in in what is one of my favorite performance of the year almost making a self-parody of herself in terms of like her as a celebrity and her own path towards queerness I can't really get into detail here other than to say it's it's a sick film but if you're like me you will get a lot out of it and I uh, oddly enough I found it hopeful <laughs> at the end without spoiling anything for all of the yucks and ugh's and whatnot and the twists and turns the plot takes I found this film to be very prophetic and very beautiful even in its uh icky mucky world that it uh that it prophesizes we might be headed towards so that's that's my number two Nice. I am a bad Canadian who hasn't seen it, so I'll get to it soon. Get on it. <laughs> I know Kevin's not a huge fan. <laughs> I am not, no. The uh, thing with Cronenberg is I'm very, very hit or miss, but like my like, I have like six or seven that I'll definitely go for the bat for. Um, let's fucking do it. My number one is Resurrection, oh! directed by Andrew Siemens. I need to see that. I... This movie is fucking engrossing. I was watching this movie and I had no perception of anything besides what was playing in front of me. Rebecca Hall is the best performance I've seen all year. She's fucking phenomenal. She also gets a seven minute monologue just like in Pearl <laughs> and it is the best scene ever. Um, it is really fucked up, really anxiety inducing. I was so stressed out while watching this, but so thankful that something was getting to me at that level um tim roth is fucking terrifying in this movie uh <laughs> i wish i could go on longer but it it just for the sheer fact that i was just so utterly engrossed in this movie and the fact that i'd heard there was just like yeah it's not that bad and then the end happens and boy howdy and the <laughs> end happened and i was like hell fucking yes let's keep going the ending of that movie so, i was like wait what Huh? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> You're just like, I thought this was all meta. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, definitely looking forward to what this guy does next. He's only done one other movie, and it was like 10 years ago, and nobody's really heard of it. So hopefully he does something else. But God, can we just talk about Rebecca Hall and how even in bad movies, she's just bad in 110%? I don't even know if that's the oh, right. Oh, she's always way to favorite, man. <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, even in like Godzilla vs. Kong, she's treating it like it's a fucking actor showcase. Gong, Kong <laughs> bows to no one. I just said Gong it's bows true. to no one. It's <laughs> true. But like, uh, even in a movie I think it's fine, like Christine, she's fucking mm. so great. Oh, I have a lot like, of issues with that movie, but she's fucking great in that. Yeah. I know, especially when you have Kate plays Christine, which is just like hell fucking yeah, and then it's just like, oh, this is what the like very by the books uh biopic would be you know but yeah 
goddamn, I, anything she's in, I know she's going to be good in regardless. So that's my number one resurrection. Hell Kicks yeah. ass. Check it out. Uh, Bryden, your number one. My number one is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another movie I was very happy to see in the theater uh, where the audience was responding mm-hmm. to uh, to it very uh, pretty vocally, mostly during the laugh lines. I don't. I didn't hear people like weeping or whatever uh, during it, but no, it's um. I feel like people. I've I've read some pieces about this movie about people saying like, oh, it's just showing like this guy's idyllic home life or whatever, and I'm like, what it is. <laughs> like it is. It is. The, the movie is like looking back at these uh things with like a real clarity uh that like a child would not be able to understand that like mm-hmm. in retrospect reveal themselves as, as kind of as bizarre or not or you know not uh, not right with the family you know when, whether it's like the mom taking the kids out for a drive to see a tornado or you know uh his you know that, that that those kind of things that just sort of make you go like, huh, this is kind of weird, and then you don't really realize until later that it was like something, something more messed up going on. And I think um, Spielberg is very keen at like how he will weaponize like images, like images of like something that looks very sentimental and feel good, and then like show like the more painful context underneath it. I mean, like the scene where. Uh, initially when you know, Spielberg, the young Spielberg standing is making movies he like takes his mom into a closet and like takes her hand and like sits her down and has her watch the movie and you're seeing the movie as they're watching it. it's like this very sweet wholesome moment as they share in this passion and then when something when he's learned something very painful and uncomfortable about, about his mom as a teenager he does the same thing he opens up the, the closet takes her hand but then he is not joining her in the moment and you were seeing just her face reacting to footage of what she is, what he has seen her doing. Mm-hmm. And being very vague because not everyone's seen the movie, even though this is based on, you know, this is semi based on Spielberg's life very heavily. Um, mm-hmm. It is it, it, the, the way in which like that space of like kinship becomes like a space of like a painful memory is like really it's it's kind of heartbreaking the way that like this kid is able he loves he loves movies but then like it becomes a thing where he has to shield it from like he uses it as shield from like all the all the hurt in his life Mm -hmm. and how it's he's not always able to do it and you know it it, it can sometimes like fracture his relationships with people in his life and I, i think the movie is like very perceptive about all that stuff in ways that not everyone gives spielberg credit for um Mm-hmm. and uh but then like the movie's also very funny like it has like lots of like great like you know fumbling like coming of age uh you know romance stuff uh with like you know him being pursued pursued by a catholic girl who loves the fact mm-hmm. that he's jewish um that's like really funny um and i i don't know and like the performances too are all like so beautiful like you said charlie like everyone is a person and capable of, you know deserving of you know understanding uh, this is one of Paul Dano's best performances. I've sat through a lot of movies in which he can drive <laughs> me nuts. Uh, but like the the way in which like his vo- like his voice kind of breaks as he realizes that he as he admits to his own son that he doesn't know what he's doing and needs help. And Michelle Williams, the way that she's like this very outsized personality, but it's like then the way that it can threaten to veer into like mania or or like you know like ex- intense happiness can like you know can uh tra- mutate into like intense sadness you know it's it but like the movie has like such understanding i guess because spielberg is like an is an older man now he's older than his parents were in this movie 
Um, he, he, like, he really gets, like, how, I mean, this movie really gets how, like, parents can cross a line and talking to their kids about, like, the things that they're going through and, like, how, like, when Michelle Williams tries to talk to her kid about the, the sexual problems that she's having with her husband, it's just like, geez, almighty, don't talk like this to your kid. <laughs> but, like, it also understands that, like, these, these characters, the pain that these characters are going through and doesn't, doesn't judge them for it, um, or doesn't condemn them for it. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. It's it's just a beautiful movie, uh, and I it's so great uh, that Spielberg is still making movies that like are among his best. You know, when he's been making movies for over forty years, he hasn't he hasn't run out of steam at any point. No. Yeah. Charlie, uh, the last to go. Mine, Let's do it. My number one is Terrence Davies' Benediction, uh, which is lesser seen, I think, than a lot of other films that we've been talking about. And to be fair, it lasted at my uh, the one art house theater in Boston that I saw that for about six days, which is a shame because it is uh, a great, great film by uh one of our greatest working filmmakers um terence davies uh is a british queer filmmaker um and in this case uh he i don't want to call it a biopic because it's not but he provides a portrait of uh real life poet siegfried sassoon who was a world war one veteran and was also uh gay and uh back in a time when he had to suppress it and uh he uses a lot of Siegfried or, or Sassoon's uh, deeply closeted feelings about his trauma regarding uh, what he saw during the war and with his sexuality and turns it into poetry and in terms of uh, what he is able to uh, like Terrence Davies has always wrestled with um religious guilt and um and his own queerness and uh is able to uh provide it into this portrait of a man who was sadly forgotten by time i will admit i didn't know anything about him until i saw this film and um it's also a great film like many of other dvcs about artists who use the only thing that they have to push back against society, which is uh, words or language or any type of way they're able to put it into writing uh, or, and, and um, I, I think that, you know, I saw this film back in May or June. I deeply want to revisit it. Um, I wasn't able to before the show, sadly. So I know I'm being a little vague here, but the ways in which he's able to create this tone poem, like so many of his greatest films, like The Long Day Closes, and uh, other films that are also literary adaptations, like uh, The House of Mirth or Deep Blue Sea, he's able to. Uh, Deep Blue Sea might have been a play. I'm I haven't seen that one in a while either. Uh, but <laughs> he's he's able to uh, basically convey the 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 pain of what we could have achieved over time had the world not been so cruel to us and 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 um how much has been lost as a result of that and um i will also say uh it's 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 hard to spoil this film because it goes in in it 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 it, um travels through various timelines and kind of um, cause Jack Loudon, who, in my opinion, gives the performance of the year as, uh, Siegfried Sassoon around the time that he, um, that he was, um, discharged, 
with uh, Peter Capaldi, who's equally good as his older self, they kind of uh, go back and forth in time in terms of how his forms of repression and uh, his forms of uh, mental anguish in terms of the war and his sexuality correlate into what he's building up towards. And then it all coalesces into what is, in my opinion, the most devastating final shot of the year, even over After Sun, uh, which is just as devastating in a different way. But I saw this movie by myself in a theater on a Saturday night, was kind of like, what am I doing with my Saturday night? I guess I'll go see the new Terrence Davies film. Knew I was going to like it, had no idea how much it would just obliterate me. I cried all the way through the end credits. Usually when I've seen Terrence Davies films in theaters, most people are like, ugh, like what British guard, what, what British, like, uh, like, like what a slog to sit through. And like, I even like by myself notice in a very small theater, other people were unable to move from their seats and I cried all the way through the credits and then I got back up and I walked to my car and I started crying again. And honestly, it's kind of why I haven't been able to revisit this is because it, it it moved me in a way that no other film has this year. I think it's one of the best films of the decade. Um, I think that uh, along with uh, A Quiet Passion, this is, uh, which was all about um, Emily Dickinson in a very similar light, uh, this cements Davies as one of the greatest filmmakers working today. So, yeah, that's my deeply emotional, not very uh, <laughs> academically thorough <laughs> recommendation of oh. this thing. <laughs> it sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any Terrence Davies. I know. Neither have I. I, yeah. I saw, I will admit, I saw, the first thing I saw was The Deep Blue Sea, and it was like, I couldn't get into right. it at And I time. thought that was Rennie Harlan, so that's really wild. <laughs> yeah, people at the audience, they were like saying like, oh, British stuff, and also, no fucking This is sharks. the one with Rachel Weisz, not the shark. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it is based on a play, Charlie, you were right, I looked yeah. it up. Oh, um, thank you. Um, yeah. And it, it was almost like I couldn't get into its wavelengths, because it's so, his films are so lyrical, and they're so meditative. In a way that when I saw that over 10 years ago, I, I wasn't able to fully grasp or I was too impatient to get what he was going for. And over time, I think he's just it, 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 it he creates reasons why I go to the movies personally. So, yeah, yeah, that's my number. I one. go to I go to the movies to see Aaron McGee get punched in the balls. <laughs> well, I also go to the movies for that. <laughs> I know. It was it's in my honorable mentions. Things. Don't sell me short, Kevin. It's called it's called being the duality of man. Yeah. Inside you um, there are two walls, etc. etc. All- Jackass and Terrence Davies forever you wrestle inside me. <laughs> Both share homoeroticism uh, in a certain sense. <laughs> yeah. Um well, we did it. We ran a little long, so our uh our anticipated movies you can you can probably guess what they are. All of us just want to see Megan. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I can not wait for that. It's gonna be so much fun. Do we have less than a week for that? As uh, the sixth. Okay. So by the time you read this or listen to this, you read podcasts, right? By the time you listen to this podcast, I'm putting this out as an ebook. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
pressing my it favorite on the film record. of the year is Benediction by Terrence Davies. It is so powerful. <laughs> After <laughs> Sun, you know, it works. Yeah. After Sun, it works, yeah. you know, uh, visually. You know, yeah. uh, that's so stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jackass Forever, so funny. <laughs> Why were these humans invented to feel pain? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Once again, thank you for listening.